Hello foodies. Welcome to the Breaking Bread Podcast. The foodie podcast presented by food obsessed mates Liam, that's me, and Carl, that's me. Join us as we aim to peel back the curtain and give food lovers like us a real insight into what makes the hospitality industry so fantastic. Our fortnightly episodes will bring interviews with people from all over the industry. And Liam and I will discuss everything food related from reviewing places we've ate to chatting about recipes we're experimenting with at home we hope you enjoy listening to our chats as much as we enjoy recording them so hello hello foodies today we are with paranjit and bruce and they are from crazy gym hello hey hi Hi guys (laughs) now that we're all relaxed um, (laughs) we're all saying we've got a cup of tea we're ready a cup of tea um I'd just like to start by talking about a little bit about kind of how you got to here. So, are you both local to we're in Wolverhampton, by the way, if anyone's listening? Yeah. Are you both local Wolverhamptons or? So myself, I was actually uh, born here. Uh, I left here in two thousand and seven to go to London, and uh, yeah, and then we moved back uh, June twenty seventeen. Um, Paramjit. I was actually born down the road in West Midlands, so... Um, yeah. Westbrook. <laughs> we are in West Midlands. <laughs> I was thinking maybe you just clash yourself as someone from West Midlands. <laughs> I was born in West Brom, but I've moved around a bit, so I lived there for about seven years, then we moved to Coventry, lived there, then my mum got remarried and we moved to Kent, and then wow. I got married and then I moved to London, to Croydon. Yep, yep so, South London. Yeah, so I've been moving about quite a bit. Cool. Nice. What was it like kind of growing up uh, with food? Did you have a relationship with food or, I mean, um, Indian culture? I think you're a bit like our Irish culture. You like to party. <laughs> yes, that happens. <laughs> Good <day of> drinking. <laughs> Lots of food. It's Lots always of... been a party, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think the way... I don't know if it was it probably was the same in your family as well. We were always told if when a guest comes to your house, you treat them like God. So you look after them, you give them food and drink, and it's a sign of respect. So you see clips from Goodness Gracious Me and other places where it's like, eat this, eat this, eat this, and you're like, give it a rest. But that's exactly how it was. And I sometimes surprise myself when I'm turning into my mom when I'm people come oh, around and I'm like, eat, but you haven't eaten. But my um, up until the age of 15, um, my mom brought me up on her own. And I remember the one thing she always instilled in me, you don't need the best of clothes, you don't need fancy gadgets. One thing that's really important is food. So you always need to make sure that you eat well. And I was really fortunate that vast majority of the food that I was brought up on was cooked from scratch. So I've always had that relationship of understanding food and just good quality food and how to make it. Yeah, it's been very important for me. Um, for myself, yeah, it's um, it's interesting because there's me, and my brother, and my parent. Uh, our parents used to uh, do several jobs growing up, so it's always a case of they would cook when they could, and it'd always be a combination of we just wanted fish finger sandwiches or just chips and things like that, and it, they would always come back saying, "No, you need just spices," and that's when. Same as Paramjit when we had the whole conversation, it was just a case of they used to combine things. 
so essentially fusion food but in the 80s it was just food yeah. Yeah. there's no term for it it's what <laughs> happened and um, it used to be case at times me and my brother used to fend for ourselves and it used to be literally violence between us <laughs> who's cooking what but it was it was just like a big part where especially when we go to uh, family other families and friends because everyone just used to pop from house to house and it was nice to always kind of at times get the celebratory food like the, the samosas or a nice bit of chicken Pecoras. or pakora and mm. all sorts of different food. It's funny you say that because growing up I remember living in um, West Brom and every year when it was my birthday I'd always take sweets in for the whole class and then she'd make fresh samosas and pakoras and they used to have a little mum's group and they'd take them in and then the teacher would now and again come to each other's houses. So it, in a in a way where language was a barrier i guess for my mom and some of her friends they brought they brought the community together through this love of food and they built relationships through it i think there was a like a, an interesting point where growing up it used to be like a, a dual personality like at home this is what you're having but then you used to have the fun of your lunchbox going into school never knowing what's in there and it'd always be a random ice cream tub and no matter how much it's been cleaned and there's been some dal or sabji that's been in there and you got your sandwiches and it's a bit like when you open a tub the smell just wafts across the room and you we used to feel ashamed because we said like, oh is that a curry curry fingers and you used to get teased and you're talking oh, wow. 80s yeah. and people used to make fun and then we used to feel very self-conscious so we'd say we want sandwiches yeah. yeah, put a tuna sandwich in there. Well, that'll kill the smell of anything. Uh, but it used to be things like that. Uh, but it's interesting how much it shaped us growing up. And it's only since we came up with what we do now, we now appreciate it. And we started to miss Indian food when we were yeah. living away and there's no family around. So it's a really interesting growth of how much it shaped us i think as a child you're trying to always fit into your surroundings yeah and i went to church of england school and then you you're you're always trying to find out what is my identity and like you said you had kind of a dual personality so you 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 were indian at home and your parents were instilling you you know you need to learn the language you for, for girls it was very different you need to learn how to cook and even at a very young age it was just like if you don't know how to cook no one's going to marry you you always just had that shoved at the back of your head and then as you're growing up and but you want to be more like your peer group and who they're with and now we've gone full circle where we're like we're happy with identity we're comfortable with it and we pick the best of the boat best of both worlds and yeah, yeah. it's come full circle i think mm. Mm, yeah i completely understand that mine was quite opposite because i'm like all, pretty much all of my family are irish and we've got like a handful who live in birmingham but the rest are all still over there and it and we went to a Catholic school where most of the families in the Catholic school <laughs> were Irish. <laughs> so it was like a little bubble. So we were like fiercely Irish. I'm not from Birmingham, I'm, I'm Irish. And then we, I left school and then we started mixing in different circles. We met kids from other schools who weren't Catholic or Irish. They were proud to be English. And I think Carl, Carl's dad, I think, got me into uh, eating Indian food, whereas I never mm. really had it. We just had like plain meat, veg, that's it. And uh, it's only then when I left school I got to learn like to love my identity as English like but Brummy and Irish so I've had the kind of opposite to you I like that yeah. because um you used, used to tell me like your mom my mom used to like a lot of households which we would do the spicy baked beans with a full English fry up or my cousins would eat spam cold in sandwiches and my mom would be like horrified as in <laughs> it's not cooked you got to do something with that and then she'd make a curry out of it but that was as 
vast majority of the food my mum brought me up on was Indian food because that's all that she knew. And then when I married Bruce, Bruce would be like, yes, and mum used to do cottage pie and do this and that. And it just blew me as in your mum can bake, your mum can do this because that's something my mum never did. It used to be the spin of you'd make a kima which is like your mince yeah, lamb and spice and then just make a, a, a shepherd's pie out of it. <laughs> it's just things like that because... That's like a actually. And it was great because even for my mom uh, when, uh, and my dad when they were at work, they would hear about people like, oh, we had a shepherd's pie. And I go, what's a shepherd's pie? Even though my mom, uh, my mom uh, she came here when she was 14, so she knew a bit more, but she never made that link. Like at school, she used to do all the different things. You used to be in cooking lessons and whatever they're called nowadays. Home economics. But, yeah. <laughs> but then she never made that link of, oh, why not just put this meat in there and see what happens? Is that kind of experiment? Or pizza. And then pizza. It didn't work. Uh, but she would experiment with <laughs> it. She, 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 she did a lot of experiments. A lot of them didn't really work out. But it was that thing of just trying to combine the two together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love that. I think that's probably why you've ended up doing what you're doing now yeah massively Love a few so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we're just big foodies and uh, we like a drink uh, not alcoholic but uh, we're not alcoholics but it's just that whole thing of through food it feels more comfortable to experiment with flavors yeah awesome. I mean, so why not translate that into your drinks as well as opposed to picking up a cookbook uh, oh sorry a cocktail book and seeing what the classics are or whatever and sometimes you're thinking I haven't got those things at home and to go buy them it gets quite pricey yeah. Mm-hmm. and yeah. what's a bitter how much are they when you walk into shops and you don't know what you're doing like a tiny little bottle yeah. and it's like 10-15 pounds and you're thinking well that's pricey but then you realise you're only supposed to put little dashes <laughs> and you're thinking well if I'm using dashes this is going to last me like a few years it doesn't last that long so it's a case of how, how can we do it with different like we do with food yeah so your gin is made from lassi yes yeah. uh, I guess it's part of uh, so it all kind of started from a desire for some tandoori chicken on a Friday after work both tired in South London in Croydon used to really crave Indian food now and again and to do a base for a curry the way my mum's taught me you're looking at at least a good hour for the base and then you're going to put your veg in or your meat in so you're looking at around about an hour and a half and sometimes you come back from work and you're like I can't bother to stand in the kitchen for an hour and a half I just want some food and I just want to eat it now and at that point it is it is and the thing is to have got something decent would have meant we would have had to get on a bus get down to the train station train train it across and then tube it across I'm thinking I've just got home <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just don't know like if I do it in Wolverhampton here I could probably get some in about 10 minutes yeah. uh, so we, we, we were just sat there and we thought um, my wife she apparently she was drinking um, this run on coke yep. and I was just drinking red wine so more than a little tipsy um, we placed this order for this tandoori chicken we thought okay this looks like a restaurant we've never tried before we'd gone through quite a few <laughs> yes. restaurants in the area and they were like nope not doing that one again not doing that one again and I think now we go back to London and we love it because we go with the tourist mentality whereas when we were working there I just wanted to get home I wanted to get off that train and it was I don't even know what I was rushing home for but I was just rushing home and then I'd be like home but it was just <laughs> yeah, that thing just just, like, yeah. <laughs> So, so we ordered this, yeah. that's it, you just want to get home, you haven't got anything to do, you just realise, okay, I've got back sooner than I thought, I'm just going to do chores now, oh, that, wasn't, that wasn't smart, uh, but yeah, so we ordered this uh, Indian takeaway, and it turned up at the door, 
And as he opened it, I was like, oh, we've tried this place before. Because he had this really weird packaging. And he just reminded box. me. I thought, oh, my God. It's like this weird origami box that yeah. he made. And uh, he had this clear... As we opened it up, it just had clear kind of like those Tupperware boxes that you yeah, get yeah, takeaways. Yeah. And the, there's like this coriander leaf just stuck to the, li- uh, to the lid. And Condensation. Just yeah, it looked rancid. It, it, was, looked like, oh. it was like, oh, gosh. And as I lifted up, it was like the chicken was all wet. And I was like, oh, God, this has just killed it. And we just looked at each other and, and we just went on his rant. Is this what people think we eat at home? Because it's like going on a route of, why do people not have pride in what they're doing? Yes, that's It's like you're just yeah. thrown in a box. I mean, come on, have some, I mean, even if you are a takeaway place, have some pride in what you do, not just churn it out. And also, it's sometimes, some takeaways give you salad in this plasticky, um, like, bag, and I'm just like, you, it's wasted as well, I'm just thinking, why have you given it, are we going to eat it, it's bland, or do something with the salad, put a bit of salad dressing, just, so you've got to eat it. You get the feeling, they've put, stuck it in there, because they feel like they had to, (laughs) yes, but they know that you're not going to eat it, but the worst part is that that little bag was set on top of the chicken so it was sweating Sweating. on the inside it's like warm salad in not a pleasant way and uh, we just just started having this rant is this what people think we eat and and then it just somehow just turned into this conversation of oh I remember growing up did your mum used to do like the full Indian English breakfast I think it started off from you saying if we were in the because I'd I was seven and when I left um, West Brom and then I was around about 15 when I left Coventry. So I wasn't going to the pubs at those ages to get those Indian takeaways. And you used to say to me, oh, if we were in the Midlands, there's so many good Indian pubs where you can go and get really nice tandoori chicken and food. And I think that's when we were like, oh. Yeah, and then we just started talking about the full Indian English breakfast which would be your spicy baked beans, which is now the trendy thing in restaurants, yeah. trying yeah. to spin off as they've come up with this new creation. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, it goes back a long way. Every house has its own version of a recipe yeah, and everyone yeah. fights over who's got the best one. But There's no hard and fast rule to it. Yeah. And then we'd have that and then you'd have your, your egg and then whether it's an omelet or a fried egg, then you get things that as weird as this sounds now, you'd get fish fingers, fish fingers you'd have sausages, that. and then you have a slice of Spam done under the grill. Waffles? And they used to have waffles. Wow. We never did the waffles. But waffle. I'm putting it all in there. But it was that whole, it was like, to us it was normal. But then as we were growing up, we started telling people about it. We realised, okay, we were probably the only ones that had this. But it was that whole journey. And even when in the 80s, our parents were working a number of jobs or whatever. And it was like a lot of people in the house. It was like me, my brother, my mom, dad, my uncle, my aunt their children my grandmother grandfather and this is all in a like a two bed sorry three bed uh semi-detached house and used to share fridges and meat was really something that was a celebratory thing because it cost a lot of money yeah, yeah. but tin meat meat in a can like spam <laughs> oh that's every day and my parents would turn into spam uh sabji which is like a dry curry almost yeah. and they'd make things like that and we realized uh parents uh, mom used to do similar things well and we realized it, now it's termed fusion food yeah. But back then, it was just food. It was yeah. just how they could bring the two cultures together. And it just kind of, off of that, we started thinking, do you know what? They were really creative when it came to flavours and doing things. They were pioneers because yeah. now there's a term for it and they're chefs and people are celebrating it then. These were normal housewives or working moms that came to a different country where things were 
alien to them and then now I look at documentaries on TVs because I can't remember I was born in the late 70s and I just think even before then certain Indian products weren't available as I realise now in the supermarket so you go around and you have to make do with what you can and well how can you turn it around and then they had demanding kids that wanted to fit into their surroundings and were like but my friends they're having this and I want that and, and I guess they were trying to do the best of both worlds and bring everything together and just off of that we started thinking they were always creative with food but no one ever did it with a drink mm-hmm. and like our, like my dad and most of the men of that kind of era they would all just drink and the way that they would drink is like someone's about to take their glass away from them so it's like literally <laughs> you're necking shots of whiskey which is so weird and random yeah. but it was never any experimentation with that so we started thinking well hold on oh, we've had a drink if what, what if we could take our journey like they told the story through food if we could tell it through a spirit and, and he, it was never set out we're going to make a gin or anything like that it was well if we could just take that journey where would we begin and then we started thinking well what's the most iconic thing that is about us because it had to be us and we started thinking well everyone will talk about tea or chai and you think it's been done to death you get chai everything and didn't we thought, resonate with us yeah, either it just didn't resonate and it was like actually no no what's more kind of Punjabi us and we first thing we came up with lassi yeah it's just a yogurt drink yogurt yeah. water you can either spice it or make it sweet mm. mango lassi is the more common one that people hear yeah, of yeah that's the one I used to yeah. have but it goes back centuries so my and, mom even yeah. on a Sunday now she'll have brothe which are stuffed chapatis and she'll have a glass of lassi with it and, and I'm just like, ah, so for her, she likes to put salt in hers, sometimes a little bit of black salt, otherwise just normal salt. And then we go back to, we just started thinking about India. My grandfather and Bruce's granddad, they never drank alcohol. So on a hot summer's day, they're both um, landowners, they were farmers. So on a call, to keep cool on a hot summer's day, Lassie was the drink. And, it, and I guess also when you used to have people come over to your house, Lassie shows wealth because it's you, milk and you or it's yogurt so you need to have money to be able to afford those things so it was something that if someone's coming to your house here you go it's something special for them and when we back, went back to India and we started looking at things some of the glasses that people serve lassies in now are really all ornate they've got they've been etched beautifully made out of metal but if you go back and back and back to its true truest root roots it just used to be a clay cup that you used to have it in because it in some respects before it became really seen as an expensive drink it was just the poor person's drink because if you were on a farm or you were working there and you managed to get hold of some yogurt you could add water to it make lengthen the drink and there you go there's a lassie so it's, it's a, something quite humbling about the roots of the lassie. And because we both thought of our grandparents, there was something about paying respect to our heritage and being able to, going back to that sodding takeaway, showing people that we're more than what's in that box and with that condensed piece of coriander in there. I guess we just wanted to open up the doors and let people come into our world because we're just as guilty as we're thinking other people are. We look at food of different cultures and we've looked, we've go down the high street and we just think, oh, is this what Japanese food is all about? Or is this what Mexican food's all about? So is it, is it burritos? Is it um, tortilla? All of that kind of stuff. And then when you start looking into it and you're like, no, there's a whole world out there. It's yeah, so yeah. exciting when you start looking into it and learning more about it. It's, yeah, and different ingredients and... So I'm already salivating. I'm in a cup of tea, but I'm already thinking about guacamole and salsa and the rest of it. I was listening to someone who said the other day they went to Cuba and they went up to somebody in Cuba and said, where, do, where can I get the best Cuban sandwich? 
And they were like, excuse me? Didn't be felt insulted. What were you talking didn't, about? Didn't realize it just wasn't a thing. It was just something that like we have here and it's it big yeah. in America that we think that that's what they eat, but they don't. They it's like the term sandwich. curry in Punjabi. There's only one dish that's called curry, and it's made from milk. Um, uh, yeah. sorry, it's yeah. made from yogurt, and that's put in everything else is in a curry. So it's a term that we've given everything. Yeah. Here's a curry. So if it's lentil, it's called dal. If it's Got, um, if it's dry, dry be a sabji. It's it's so it's interesting. It's just like you're saying this Cuban sandwich, but we're I'm just as guilty as other people. It's just about explaining things, and sometimes it's just uh, it's not ignorance. It's just people just haven't come across it. Mm. You don't know what you don't know. That's, <laughs> that's exactly it, that's what it is, and we just wanted to open the doors and say, let me tell you a little bit about our world. A so it kind of started with the, the lassie to kind of take us through that whole journey. And then we thought, okay, so we start with yogurt. Because essentially that's all you need. And then we thought, okay, well, as a foodie, what is our biggest inspiration in terms of our kind of staple meals that we've grown up on? And we thought, well, it's a base of a, a every uh, kind of dish our parents would make is called a torka, which is like a base starter for a curry or whatever you're going to make, yeah. which would be mainly a lot of the time it's always turmeric black pepper and coriander so with the seeds and we thought great that's well that's the base of ours and we thought well, that'd be a nice kind of nod to our growing up and our parents and our heritage and we thought okay so we've got yogurt turmeric black pepper and coriander cool all right now that's our journey done for from our roots we're drunk and we like a drink so what alcohol <laughs> should we use and we talk about whiskey we, we talk about rum but you thought, uh, turmeric, yogurt, that doesn't really sound like it's going to work. And then we started thinking, well, hold on, gin is, you see so many different types of gins on the market. People spice them, people make them sweet, people do all sorts of different things. And we thought, well, let's turn it into a gin because it seems like it'll probably really kind of hold the flavor. And then we thought, well, we've just created a yellow milkshake. It does not sound nice. <laughs> it didn't sound yellow yogurt milkshake. That's alcoholic. And you're thinking, that doesn't sound too appetizing then we thought well how do we make this different and we started thinking back to our inspiration which are the Hestons of the world yeah and uh, about a couple of years before that I remember watching uh, Sunday brunch and they had uh, Ch Professor Charles Spence and have, didn't have a clue who he was and then he's talked about how all the science behind what Heston does and a lot of these hind chefs about playing with your senses. Yeah. He's the world leading expert and he had this book and while he was talking I bought the book on Amazon and I started remembering all the little bits that he used to talk about how to engage your senses and we started thinking well if we could make it crystal clear and look like water that would be cool. Be like magic. Like, yeah, we got that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. pour it and you're gonna expect yellow yogurt to pour yeah. out of a bottle and it looks like water and we like, oh that sounds cool. And then we went to sleep drunk. And then woke up <laughs> next day hungover thinking, Do you know what? That wasn't a bad idea. Google it. <laughs> Can it be done? We don't know. Yeah. Or has it been done? Yeah. Was the other question for all we know, it might already exist and be yeah, out there. Else was already yeah. Done. Yeah. And we thought we'll have to have this try and see yeah. what it's like. And uh, we couldn't find anything. And then uh, we were like, Well, is this even possible? I mean, bearing in mind my background, I was a building manager for about ten years. Uh, my wife, she was... Uh, I worked as a project manager for the Met Police and I'd been there at that time for about seven, eight years, yeah. And we thought our only experience of food and drink is eating and drinking. What the heck do we know about making alcohol? <laughs> That's a good start. Uh, but, but we thought, yeah. So we thought, you know what? 
it's not this romantic story of we sat there and we tried to figure out and we did little experiments. No, we just Googled. Has anyone done something that's a dairy product into a clear liquid? And we found uh, that it'd been done with cream gin. I thought, oh, okay. Got so excited because that was just like, it can be done. But then there's also the question, is it really cream that goes into there? Or is it a, like a play on words or whatever? Yeah. And then we reach out to them and then it was just a case of, we said, look, we've got this idea. Can it be done? And like, yeah, it's the same way we did our cream gin. Like, oh, great. Could you help us? And we reach out to them and then they actually helped us to kind of formulate it. And so it became this yogurt, turmeric, black pepper, coriander in a gin. And then we added some uh, pomegranate for sweetness, black cumin for smokiness, because we wanted a r- nice round drink. So Just, while you were doing this, what kind of time frame was it? Were you still doing your full-time job? Oh, gosh, oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Never, yeah. We, first of all, when we had that idea, we never thought we were going to make the gin. I think that's why it was one of those conversations. If we were to win the lottery, you let your imagination go wild. Well. Yeah, yeah, the number yeah. of earrings I've bought, I can tell you in my mind already, <laughs> in the diamonds. So it was just like, throw whatever's out there, because we're not even looking at the hell. And then when you did all of the, all credit to Bruce, because he was pushing it and looking at the research and talking to people about it. And even then we were like, oh, it would be cool if it can be done. But never did we think we're going to leave our jobs. It was just like, but I'm going to carry on working. This is just something on the sideline. Let's just see, see what happens. Kind of like, yeah, almost like a hobby or kind of thing. Can it work? Because it'd be really cool if it could. Yeah. There's no real angle as to turn it into business. Wouldn't it be cool if we could? There was no follow-up from that. It was just like, okay. And then, um, so we had them create it for, uh, well, start working on us. But in terms of timeline, we had that drunk Friday, I think it was in 2015, towards the end of 2015, met these guys. And then 2016, we just started to bash it out from, I think it was like mid-January, early Feb. And we had our very first tasting, which was the most comical thing in the world. Bearing in mind, I was not really a gin drinker. Yeah. I had bad memories of university with a, a certain <laughs> famous gin that really put me off for a very long time. You know, at university, you always overdo something yeah, yeah, yeah. and it sticks with you. <laughs> it's, it's one of those. And we had this tasting where it's myself, Paramjit, and my brother came along. We, we thought we needed an independent person. Yeah, we, we're very different. <laughs> yeah. the way yeah. sort of, I think that's why we work so well together. We are quite polars and we needed that independent person. Yeah, otherwise you... Even that's quite smart to have that kind of intelligence though. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. And to rein us in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think more than anything, it's like we could over-romanticise this yeah, yeah, yeah. and make something that tastes awful. But in our minds, because we've romanticised it, it tastes great. And you really it, want it to taste good in of, the first. Of course, oh, yeah, yeah. You don't want to it's convince our, yourself it does. Yeah, yeah and because it's our journey, we just needed someone with the same background as us, which was Bruce's brother, to sit there with us because we just thought the people that were making it for us, we don't know them. If we're saying this is great, for all we know, they might be saying, yeah, yeah, that's great, off you go. And we didn't want that. It needed to be the best product that we could make. Yeah. I was going to say, that, that day was quite comical that we had our first tasting because I used to work for the Met so I started early finished at four and I'm trying to run towards the city to get there you finished at three I think we were all didn't have time for lunch we were trying to work through our lunch break so we've turned up for this tasting with very little food no, in we, our stomachs we, we, no we were just starving we turned <laughs> up and that's all it was we were starving we turned up and we thought it's a bar surely they'll have like snacks or something and uh went straight into the tasting and the tasting was eight versions and the reason we had eight versions of the gin it was all based around turmeric 
Because yeah. for me, turmeric is a complete love-hate relationship. Yeah. When mom cooks with it, she rushes it all the time, so I hate it. Uh, my mother-in-law, parent's mom, she takes her time. And when you get turmeric balanced well, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me, the key ingredient was the turmeric. So we had eight versions of the strength of turmeric and how it all balanced out. But essentially, it was we sat down and we go, right, we're going to start with um, eight neat gins, eight martinis and then on to eight gin and tonics but it was also all of us sharing the glasses and he was like okay so i had my pen and pad out because i was the only one that thought about it so i'm writing and my gosh by the time we finished the neat because we never had neat gin it's like is that even a thing we never had other than the normal shots that you go out and you have, I've never thought about drinking a spirit meat. Didn't even. No, but we had. Mind. I've always had like whiskeys or stuff like yeah, that. Whiskey and rum, you'd expect. You yeah, but gin. you think I've not gin? Really heard it too much people drinking it. And, and, and we started off, and it just kind of like, oh, that was harsh. And then we, as we got through the uh, eight neat. And then we got halfway through the uh, the martini. So like, no, we need some food. <laughs> need some food. And then just get us some carbs. He came back with a bowl of crisps. I was like, Are you kidding me? And then he came back with some nuts. I was like, oh, okay, this isn't working. And the writing just went out. Oh, I couldn't even read my writing. It was just a line. And and then we did the eight gin and tonics. At that point, our palates were just smashed. It was like you could have given me anything at that point, and I wouldn't be able to taste it. Um, but we kind of had an idea and then following on from that we had another two variations but by about i think it was may we actually decided this is our gin got it so it's actually quite a short window but for us because i'm impatient (laughs) i was expecting to be nailed on the first or second attempt but the but to show it's funny to show that we're the true foodies when we had went for our third tasting we actually went to kent to my mom's she'd made her lamb curry and because food was so integral to all of this we were like when you have a drink you need food so for us it wasn't a drink that you were going to make and you were going to go and have a few neck it and then off you go have it on your tongue you it was eat. something that you socialize with it's about bringing people together this drink just represents more than just the liquid of it within there so we went to my mom's we picked up her lamb curry went all the way back into london had the two or three different variations we were like guys have you got a microwave they were like yep go can you heat up this curry and we sat there and we had this lamb curry that my mom made trying them because it was really important for us that the drink does it justice that you can have it not only within a cocktail but it goes well with food with yeah. flavors and then i remember it was, you brought although it's it really funny though because when he heated it up and he brought the lamb curry out remember this is a <laughs> mid center this is in the city and it's a operating bar and it's quite packed and all people go, oh, that smells good. <laughs> yeah. oh, can, can we get one of those? And they go, that's not on the menu. But why are they eating it? And they brought it themselves. We can bring our own food. And it turns a really weird atmosphere that was happening. <laughs> but then I remember we brought some of the final crazy gin home and we were like, right, what else can we do? And I remember you did like fresh guacamole, fresh salsa, made fajitas. Because we just didn't want it to be an Indian drink that just goes with Indian food. We just wanted it to go with food. We wanted it to go with flavor and be packed full of flavor. The other time you did those fresh bao buns and you did kima and you were like, let me try, does it work yeah, with that? Yeah, let's do a bit of fusion with yeah. it and see what yeah, happens. Yeah. And, but it was, it was a lot of fun. and uh, But yeah, we essentially, in was a space of what, about four or five months, we actually had a full liquid. And then that's when, so we had the liquid, we had no real name for it. Yeah. And so it's only when uh, we told my mom we're spending our life savings on this, yeah, she said a lot of choice words, which I won't repeat, but one of them was actually the word bargle. 
which is a Punjabi word for you're crazy, but it's like a very aggressive way of saying you're crazy, that like you're mentally unstable. Yeah. So you got day job, what the hell's wrong with you? You're like, to university. Yeah, you got jobs, you got a house, you got bills. <laughs> I never was allowed to have fun, how dare you, kind of thing. And uh, we were like, bargo, 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 okay. Actually, that just means crazy. And we start thinking about the word crazy. Well, actually, you know what? People start to make crazy a really negative word. But it's not, it's a fun word to us. To us, it's just yeah. that fun, creativity, experiment. And yeah. it's like when you put things in, oh, that's crazy, but does it work? And we're like, let's embrace it. Let's embrace it and go with it. Do you know what? Sod it. Let's call it crazy. It's crazy, Jim. And that's yeah. literally how it went. Yeah, and I think we were thinking, are we the crazy ones for having an idea and just seeing where can we go with it? Or are other people crazy that have ideas and they just sit on them and life goes by? You just carry on with what's normal. Yeah, and because Bruce's dad had died a couple of years beforehand from MND and he'd always said, whenever I retire, that's it. I'm going to go on vacation. His sister, his our granddad is are still in India. I'm going to spend six months there, six months here. I'm, you know, he's, he's literally a sod the lot here. <laughs> I've <laughs> retired. Fend for yourself. Six months in India, six months <laughs> here. My, my, my life's a holiday now. But then unfortunately, the, uh, from the moment he retired, he was diagnosed with MND and passed away within six months. Oh, and there's a deterioration that you saw now. And it just dawned on us. You know what? Life's Nobody knows short. what's around the corner. And I could never, we looked at each other and we both had the same thought, we can't live, we would, re- our biggest regret would be, if only. Yeah. And do you know what, if you try and you fail, well at least you tried it, you, you learned something. You yeah. go back to your jobs. Yeah, that, that's, that's, there'll be jobs out there for us. We've so got we kind skills. of went, and then we went all in and we thought, okay, great. So we've got someone producing for us, we've got a license, we had to apply for licenses everything and we're like okay great and in the meantime whilst I was licensing were uh, underway um, the producers actually called us up and said oh we've got this meeting with Harvey Nichols uh, do you mind if we take the bottle I was like help take it go go just take it <laughs> but at that time you have to remember we had one bottle <laughs> prototype bottle we had liquid enough liquid for that one bottle we had one uh, label which was kind of like uh, through our inkjet printer so because we put a face on there if it got wet it looked like he's crying yeah. and we're like oh this is embarrassing if this is the first interaction they're having with it you think what the hell's wrong but you it was are, like you're not just send it you were really good i think this is where we're very different and i'm really grateful that i've got bruce because i'm can be a bit of a perfectionist so had it been left to me that bottle would never have gone to harvey nichols for them to taste because i would have been too busy thinking but it the label's not to the right level it doesn't what doesn't represent us fairly and i would have completely missed the opportunity so full credit to bruce because you were just like sod it give it a go what have we got to lose i've always been brought up with the you know what what the hell if you get an opportunity go for it figure it out after and so we sent it out and um that day we were in i remember it was, it was a cri- summer's day we were in crystal palace sitting in the window of a restaurant called pizza in the palace sitting in the window ordered our pizzas and and we knew what time the meeting was and we're just staring at this phone and staring at this phone <laughs> as you're gonna call is you know what happens if he says it's awful they don't like the liquid and, and then the phone rang and then and he's on his scooter he's yes. calling from his scooter so i couldn't hear a thing he's like, hey, 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 bruce by the way uh, and he's like and then all i heard was he loves it and they want to stock it but then i was quickly followed up with but don't get carried away they'll probably only take a few bottles 
maybe one or two. I said, look, it wasn't even on my rate. My corner shop in Croydon, literally on the corner was where I was going to take it to. <laughs> so if Harvey Nichols take one or two bottles, do you know what? We all start somewhere. What were your capabilities? Is whatever their capability was. They could, at a push, do 200 bottles. Yeah. So we, but now, mind, we're thinking one or two. Joe, if we get like a batch of 200 bottles, we'll just keep them aside somewhere and we'll see how many months that takes us. to. Because everyone that we're coming across were saying, whether it's... We ignored what friends and family were saying, but it was things that people from the industry were saying. You're no one's. And this is the thing that really drove me because it got me angry. It used to be one of those things. Uh, not being funny, mate. You're not from the industry. Who's gonna to listen to you? Yeah. What do you know about drinks? At the same time, I'm thinking, hold on, I'm paying you to make it. Sure, you should be nice to me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what the hell's wrong? And it really used to piss me off. It's quite a silly stance to take, cause surely. Arrogance. Even if that was the case, you just pay a PR company or someone to promote for you. Exactly, and I thought, <laughs> I thought, you know what? I have done many different roles in my life. Uh, I've always, always managed to network with people really well. Yeah. And I thought people buy people. If you come across with a genuine story, and then I was like thinking, hold on, in the gin industry at that point, how many husband and wife or people who just did stuff on the side, not from the industry, we weren't unique, was, they made a brand. So for me, it was a personal, screw you, I want to do middle finger them. And I was like, okay, you know what, I'm going to go out there and I will push this. So when we had Harvey Nichols, I said, can you introduce us to the buyer via email? He's like, why? I said, because I'd like to speak to him. So what are you asking me why? <laughs> yeah. And then he, he introduced us and uh, I sent the buyer an email and the buyer was like, I'll take 12 bottles. I said, that's great. Can we, not, uh, that was, it was an order came through, oh, we'll take 12 bottles, like an email kind of uh, agreement. And I said, could we meet for a coffee? So I said to Paramjit, he said, yeah, tomorrow afternoon. And he was in the headquarters of Harvey Nichols in Chiswick. And, he, and I said to Paramjit, you got to do whatever you got to do to get out of work. <laughs> I'll finish early. We're all down to a Costa coffee around the corner from them. And we're waiting for this buyer. And we're thinking, what does a buyer look like? <laughs> <laughs> it's Harvey Nichols. I can't afford to shop there. Is it going to be like some real like trendy suit? So we were actually looking around for somebody who's going to come in really smartly dressed. And uh, this gentleman comes in and he's so... Unassuming. Unassuming. But do you know when you're dressed casual? Yeah. Like head to toe, Harvey Nichols. Casual. Get, ca yeah, <laughs> Harvey Nichols casual. Yeah. Uh, and he sat down, he's such a nice guy, but he sat there and he was just quiet. As you've noticed from this podcast, we like to talk, so we're like, da -da 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 -da. and I'm just trying to read his face, engage an expression. Poker face on him, everything. Nothing. And I'm just thinking, uh, just you know keep talking. talking <laughs> yeah, and your yeah, brain's yeah. ticking away, ticking away, ticking away. Like, this is going disastrously wrong, as in, and then very 30, yeah, thirty minutes. He he just looked at his watch. He's like, ah, got another meeting, and he did the fingers, just uh, like just like uh, gun. Yeah. He goes, nice to meet you, <laughs> and I'll be in touch. And that noise you made—that's exactly what it was sitting there, <laughs> like, oh, why? We were in Harvey. We were so close. We were in the store. If we just shut our mouths, we would have been in there. We just had to talk and we went home distraught. We and really I, were. As I passed the corner shop, walking home, because it's literally like about a 30 second walk, I thought, okay, I'll try him tomorrow. <laughs> That's literally how I was like, <laughs> We sat at home, like, didn't even talk to each other, nothing. It was like, what? Bunch of numpties. Just analysed every. I'm really bad. I just analysed I had to leave the room. I said, you carry on. 
should not have done that. Maybe is when we said this, or maybe it was a bit of that. And oh no, we should def- definitely not have mentioned that bit. Do you think we? It, it was just yeah. And the next morning, because they used to start work about seven, and around nine o'clock, this email came in, and it was, "Hi, it was nice to meet you. I want to change that order." And instantly, I'm thinking two zero. <laughs> and he said, "We no longer want twelve bottles. We would like seventy two. We would like to launch you across the country in every single store at once." Wow. And if you could do us one favor, we would love to support you. But if you make us exclusive for a short period, I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> if I'm to pick a store, I'll be because it'll be the store. I was like, okay. And uh, we, uh, and then I kind of started thinking, great. Oh, crap. We have one prototype bottle. We haven't even finished it off. And he, he did, uh, I said, yeah, that's great. And I was trying to be hesitant in the email because I didn't know how to respond back. And then he came back with another email saying, Take your time. I know you guys are still developing this product. Take your time. Just get it right to whatever you need to do. If you want us to help input on how to finish it off or how you'd like it to look and we can help, we'll help. And I thought, oh my God, never expected a big brand to say that to us. I thought they'd just be like, oh, it's not ready. Bugger off. Next. But no, they were so nice. And it was just really kind of eye-opening. And then uh, we just... Spent all our time getting it ready and then we launched with them in October 2017. It was so 16, 2016. amazing. I remember f- again finishing work at four o'clock that day because our first tasting early. in Harvey Knightsbridge. Uh, yep, straight to Harvey Nichols. I'm going to do a four hour tasting. Woo! Wow. Absolutely shitting my brick though. Prior to the tasting, I was like, what's a tasting? Yes. <laughs> what, what the hell does that mean? And then uh, because I used to work around the corner, because uh, I used to contract for Imperial College, I used to rush down at lunchtime and after work and see other brands. Yeah. And then they all kind of knew us at this point, the, the shopkeeper, uh, the people in the wine shop. And I was like, guys, help me out. What's a tasting? They're, oh, you just stand there with some shots and tell me a story. You'll be fine. What, what do I talk to him about? I mean, I'm not an expert. What if people come up and they really know their stuff? They're like, ah, screw them. <laughs> Just give them a drink, tell a story. <laughs> they like it to buy it. But don't, and then they said the best line ever, don't force a sale. They go, because you're in Harvey Nichols, it's a premium product now, which is never on our, on our mindset. They're, you're a premium product. It's small, it's craft. What you need to do is never hard sell. An average buyer at Harvey Nichols needs to see you roughly three times in the store or interact with you or your product three times. Yeah. Then they trust you. Yeah. When you pitch them at the beginning, they don't like being forced because you go to Harvey Nichols and you like to be relaxed. You don't want to be like sales down your Jumped throat. You don't want to yeah. be pounced upon. I mean, like, great. And then immediately in our head, it was like, we're Indian. <laughs> like, if you go to a guest and we treat everyone like a guest, we're like, we have to give them food. Nobody gives them food, so maybe that's our age. So we made these things called matia, which is just flour, water, uh, uh, butter. Dwayne uh, seeds in there. And then you just fry them. So it's little, uh, like little fried uh, pastry doughs in little strips. So we made a bunch of those, went down to uh, Paramjit's mom's house. She, she helped, helped us make them. We had like a ton of them. <laughs> and then we were like, oh, but we can't just put them out. So people put their hands in there. They'll think, oh, that's, that's not very nice, people sharing and sticking their fingers in. So then we got a bit carried away. We got some fancy prongs, like tweezers. <laughs> we made little paper cones. <laughs> I'm sitting there with double-sided sticky tape, parchment paper, and doing cones. I spent hours making these sodding cones. It 
It worked. It worked well. Because on the first day it tasted, we had this big pa- uh, and, uh, pile of butter. I had my kilo jar. I even yeah. had food safety. I had my gloves on. <laughs> I didn't want people to think I was cross-contaminating anything. So making little coats, handing them out to people. A little ice cream cone. <laughs> yeah. the, the shop staff were just absolutely pissing themselves at this point. They go, this is just too funny. Can we try some? They're, oh, you need to make these <laughs> and sell these here. Can you bag them up for me? And then we realized in the first kind of uh, day of tasting because we did the Friday, Saturday and no, it's just the Friday and Saturday. Uh, by the time we finished a Friday, we realized people actually thought we were there to sell these pastry snacks. <laughs> and at the gym was just a little way for us to get them to buy the snack. And we're like, no, it's the other way around. Um, I, I, and it was great because we drew these massive crowds and there was another brand uh, who just opposite and he's such a lovely guy. Yeah. And we were like, after the first day, I sold about nine bottles at £45, which is a high price. And I was yeah, thinking, nine seems a bit rubbish. You don't know. You've got nothing to judge yeah. it by. Everything's Cause he, brand new to you. You're just, is, yeah, it, but, is it bad? But it's also because he came over and he goes, how'd it go? I go, how much do you say? He goes, I like 25. Oh, I, I sold like nine. He goes, do you know how good that is? I go, what do you mean? He goes, one, nobody knows you. You just appeared. He goes, we're here pretty much for the last two years. We come here about five times a year at least. And he goes, our price point is 30 pounds. You're 45. And he made me think, oh, okay, okay. The second day, because it was a whole day of tasting uh, Knightsbridge, I think over the two days, we did something like 23 bottles. And they go, that's one of the records for that price. They go, nobody sells 23 bottles of 45 pounds. Normally, you're lucky if you sell like half a dozen. I'm like, oh my god, okay, maybe you like the story. And then it just kind of went from there. True. There and was no marketing, there was no nothing. No. It was just two people turning up for a tasting, giving it a go. And that's, I think, everything we've done in this business. Everything's been resourceful. It go, yeah. resourceful. It's like the bottle. When you see the bottle, we chose a dark bottle because in prior to setting this all up, we used to travel to, okay, let's go to the high end. Let's go Harrods, Selfridges, <laughs> Harvey Nichols wherever else to look at what the bottles of gin look like and they'll be like you more fancy arranged right now let's hit all the supermarkets so in tesco's sainsbury's waitrose as the and my gosh you see some amazing labels and beautiful bottles and there's like gilding embossed debossed carvings and all sorts then you look at the prices and thinking yeah we can't afford any of that and it, it was just that moment where it just hit me when i was like Everyone knows Jack Daniels and Gentleman Jack. Whether you like it or not, you know Gentleman Jack is a person. So why don't we turn crazy into a person and embody that kind of fun element? Because we thought, for us, it's something I said earlier on, which is, are we the ones that are crazy for having an idea or going for it? Or is someone else crazy for sitting on an idea and never going for it? You could look at it both ways. So is your glass half full or half empty? It's halfway, it's whatever your perception is on there. And we thought, for us, that drink represents more than just our journey. It was kind of wanting to give other people permission. If you've got an idea, no matter what it is, do you know what, just go for it. I'm not telling you to spend your life savings on it. That's not what we're saying at all. It's just about, if you feel passionately about something and you've got all these negative voices around you, sometimes you've just got to... Find that right crowd of people that are going to help you and say it can be done, let's give it a go, take baby steps or whatever it was. So it was kind of like a mythical character of what crazy yeah. crazy is. And, and we thought, well, how do, how do you turn him into a person? We thought, let's put a face on a ball. There's not many 
brands I had seen at that point where there's a face on a bottle. No. We thought, well, what's that face? I don't physically want my face on the bottle. It's not me on the bottle. This is crazy, the person. But we put my glasses. And then, because I've got a bit of a beard, we put a beard on a bottle. But the first design draft that came back, it had glasses and this weird, very strange-looking beard. And the first thing Pamjit said was, that looks like a dog. How that was even possible? I was like, what? And then I could just see this weird dog and I thought, Oh no, no, that looks awful. And then uh, the designer changed it to putting a mustache on. I thought, oh, that looks pretty cool. And then vacuum distill, which is our process of doing it, we had that as eyebrows. <laughs> then we thought, okay. But then I started thinking, okay, label. Well, whenever you print, it's like, do you want mono? Like two colors, or do you just want one color on there? It's this price. Or if you want more than one color, it ramps up. So just put black on there. <laughs> but then label-wise, we were like, we wanted a luxury feel. I started thinking to, if you think of red wine, you always think of luxury and textured paper. Yeah. So like, let's find paper that feels like a, a, a fancy wine bottle. Then on there, let's try and talk them through the flavors, not saying that it tastes like you've just traveled to India through the villages. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. It's like, tell them what it tastes like. Like be to the point what what flavors you were expected to taste and what's a lussy it's what what's that yeah Professor Charles Professor Spencer, Char and, and again it was touch points how do we because we don't come from the food and drink background for us it was about what do we want to touch and feel when we go to pick up a product so we're always thinking of thinking of things from that perspective and we want it to have a really nice touch feel to it want the bottle to be dark because we've just found a way of making yogurt and turmeric into a clear liquid we want that thing of when you pour it people are going to be like i don't get it how did you manage to make that clear so it's that air of mystery but then like bruce mentioned on the eyebrows it's vacuum distilled everything's in plain sight so if you want to spend a bit of time and you can google it that's our process so it's not about smoke and mirrors everything is on that bottle there's so many clues here and there so the story we told you about the eight versions mm. we've got number formula four written on there we just wanted again to tell you a little like bit the mid about is where it just balanced just perfectly yeah. so let's call it formula four because there was eight and we chose that one so it's just there's little clues there's little things all over that bottle and even the wax seal on there we wanted again a texture we wanted it to be a ritual so when you think about opening a bottle of champagne you've got the cage you've got the cork you've got the popping of the sound and we wanted when you get a bottle of crazy gin you've got this wax and it's a super soft wax so you don't even have to get a knife to open it you can actually peel it away and when you peeled it away you first of all right at the top every single bottle's hand wax dipped and hand stamped so you can that touch so you can feel the glasses and the mustache on top all onto there and then you can pop it off. and even the corks we've chosen specific corks that did not come with the bottles because we got feedback from customers they just weren't the right type of cork so you can open it up you've got the pot the sound and then you pour it you've got this clear liquid every element has been thought about because it's our journey it represents us and we just wanted people to have a little bit of a nugget into our world as to where we are and then it kind of went from, so we had the whole Harvey Nichols, and then we thought, okay, where do we go with this? Um, first hotel was the Taj Hotel in London. We thought, oh my gosh, well, that wasn't on the radar. And they contacted us. And then I remember one of the days, Pam just like, and she whispered it because she was scared if you say it out loud, it wouldn't happen. He's like, wouldn't it be cool if you got in a Michelin star restaurant? <gasps> <laughs> and then a Michelin star restaurant contacted us and said, oh, I love the story. And it's Vineet Bart here in South Kensington. And he took it and he actually used it when he rebranded his entire restaurant. And that was 
losing the Michelin star he took us and then lost his Michelin star because he recreated the whole restaurant and I think within nine months he got a Michelin star back but his food was amazing it's that journey we're like this is great and then six months in we're like okay so we're still doing our day jobs we're exhausted on the weekends but we're still enjoying the the adrenaline rush can I quickly add I was just going to say so we launched in Harvey Nichols in October and because they'd put us nationwide for us it's I don't know if it's the Indian in us or whether it's just being grateful and giving gratitude and we were just like if you they put us in every single store the least we can do is travel to every single store by Christmas show our face explain the brand to staff meet customers to get feedback so that Christmas it literally was we were working Monday to Friday we'd book ourselves in at weekends and we were traveling the entire country I remember we drove from London all the way to Edinburgh to do a tasting and I have one picture that I will never ever share with anyone whilst I'm alive. 11 o'clock at night, we're just outside of, I think we were towards Lancashire, weren't we? Oh, we were, yeah, we were still two hours away or three hours. And we were like, we booked a hotel. Should we just stay here? And there's a holiday in there's a right holiday opposite in. the car. And like, then we're like, money's, in, money's tight. We can't afford to. We've paid money over there. So I remember we both, 45 minutes, slept on a ta- table in the middle of services. And then we're like, okay, two hours. We can do this. Let's go. It, but- I was literally sat there. I remember it's winter. I had a bottle of water. I was actually pouring water off my head. Anything to keep me awake. <laughs> she fell asleep. I was opening the window. I was frozen solid. Did, did you have somebody tell you that this is what you needed to do? Like, to, to make no, this we, work? Or? No, we just felt like... Did you have see, a PR company? Or? Oh, no. no. It was li- we couldn't afford anything. It was literally... It's our life savings. It's our life savings <laughs> on this. And it got to the point of... We were so excited that Harvey Nichols had taken us on on, and then the restaurant and then the hotel and there was this gratitude and the more things were just naturally happening, the more we were like, we're on to something here. And and part of it was, yes, there was (laughs) a lot of that as well. Yeah. (laughs) It felt embarrassing. I had to say to people, yeah, we're in Harvey Nichols. Oh, well, we were in Harvey Nichols, not any longer. Now it's like, oh, no, no. So we got to do it. And I think we clocked up uh, roughly. So we started... Uh, in that six weeks we did uh, started at Knightsbridge we then did Bristol Leeds Manchester Birmingham and then uh, Edinburgh and then then back around and finished just before Christmas back in Knightsbridge and I think when we clocked up the miles I was so tired it was like we did two over 2,000 miles or something just on weekends in six weeks what was Harvey Nichols response to this? They're like, oh my god, you're mad. That must have been unprecedented. Nobody's done that. They got nobody does this. They actually said they go, you guys are just stupid. Oh, you just do we this. But we love you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not only doing servings, we were actually then also making these pastries as well because we were like, well, we've done it in one store, we've got to flip and take it to every single store now. But one, one of the things we actually did realise is we would see a lot of tastings where people come in and expect everything done for them. And I went with the mindset, this is our business. We're going to them. We can't give them any work to do. This we is probably because you've not come from the industry, so it's yeah, probably worked in your favour. And also, you used to seem stressed, and I think it all started with the team at London because they're always so stressed Such and it's busy. busy. It's so many, so much footfall through them. We like, oh, and they'd always say, well, "What do you need? What do you need?" And they're always stressed. And sometimes you could come across aggressive, but I took that. That's just stress. And they would always say, "So, what do you need?" Because the other guys are taking everything and I've got to do this for them. And I was like, okay, just need a bag for a bin and a bucket of ice. And if you've got tasting cups, if not, don't worry about it. 
Take is that it? They go, you don't need anything else. I was like, no. You sure? You sure you don't need anything else? And it was just by surprise. And you realize, okay, now let's do that every single store. And every store, we then talk to them. If you see them stressed, like sometimes you see them super stressed. Yeah. And when they run, go, you okay? Is there anything I can help you with? And then when customers come along, they think that we work at Harvey Nichols. And they go, do you know where the toilets are? Oh, I want to buy this. Can I buy it from here? And then Pam said, come with me. And she would take him to the till point. And take them through, or we take show them where the toilets are. I worked in retail, so I think I've I've just always had that. I'm a bit of a people pleaser as well, sometimes to my own detriment. So it was just like it's no skin off my nose. If I took you to the toilet, or you're buying chocolate for someone else, let me take you to the till point. And I, I just think it's it's just something nice to do. You don't have to. I'm not going to go there and say no. I'm working for Crazy Jim. I stand here, and I'm not leaving this box. No, just be nice to people. I mean, we we end up becoming friends with pretty much every single store, even when we were in. Um, in Edinburgh, we had the per, the GM who was in charge of Edinburgh, Bristol, and was just covering Leeds. She actually just turned up, came to see us, and said, I love your story. And I love the fact that you're going around. And she started to drum up people coming around. People like, oh my God, she's talk, she's raving about you. She doesn't rave about anyone. And then we realized it's just because we're just being normal and trying to reduce what load we give on them. And, it just kind of went from there, but... So you're saying you were in the Michelin star restaurant. Uh, where did it go from there then? Well, we started to pick up a few places. It wasn't huge quantities. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, yeah, you sorted, that's it. Like People say you must have a great contract with Harvey Nichols. I said, there's no such thing as a contract. And retailers these days, they can only keep so much yeah. because it's retail space for them. It's a new stock. It's cost. It's money just held up there. The big thing that happened, so we were... I think because we were still working full time and we weren't relying on money, it was it was like pocket money. You know, if you make anything, that's great. So we were like, we're in these places, things are picking up naturally, it's absolutely fine. And then we had a big bombshell. I think it was about six months into. Yeah, six months in, I, I came into work at around nine o'clock. An email came in from the distiller saying, just to let you know, we're giving everyone six months, six weeks notice. We're no longer distilling for anyone, just our own product. So you have to figure this out yourself. I just want to punch him through an email. That's all I thought of. I don't want an emoji. I want to physically a fist through that email and hit him. Because I was like, six weeks? How the hell am I supposed to do anything in six weeks? Was there a part of you that thought this could be the end of this? Yeah, oh, I went and kicked yes. the crap out of the, the, the company uh, print room. I just started kicking the printer quietly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, how do I tell Paramjit? But for me, when I found out, I just the first thing that came there were two there were two things that came is one we're going to let down now three major companies, and then the other thing was all those friends and family that were saying this ain't going to work this ain't uh, going to work yeah. they're just going to be told like, you told so. you so <laughs> and it was just like no can't just can't do that there has to be a way to figure and then we just sat there and we thought you know what okay boil it down either we stop. We lost our money, whatever, carry on with the jobs, build your savings again, and just... That'd be quite hard to do. Yeah, and, and don't get thicker skin, and just really have to just endure it. And then we thought, okay, but what are the options there? And we to, thought, well... To go through everything you've done, you must have really loved it, like... Well, yeah, but what the other option was, okay, so either you stop or you carry on. Now, if you carry on, what's that mean? We thought we'd have to double down and go all out. I thought, okay, what's the worst that can happen from them? We thought that's such a simple question, but hard to answer. And we just sat there and we thought, okay, if we go all in, we lose all our cash, then what? We're like, well, we're not dead. Yeah. 
We are. I mean, at that point, I was about 38 and I started thinking there's a general kind of thing that if you're over 30 and you haven't achieved anything in life, you failed in life. It's like you can't start a business, you're too old now. And I was like, no, screw that. I'm not having that happen. And we're like, well, if we go all in, what's the worst that'll happen? Lose our cash, get a job. I thought, okay, well, that's not so bad. <laughs> you got no savings, you get a job. And we thought, do you know what? Let's go with it. So in that six weeks, we were like, okay, so if you go all out, we can't stay in London because it's far too expensive, the units and everything. And does it make a difference if you're in London? In actual fact, we're around the country. And I was like, well, mom still lives in Wolverhampton. The Midlands is so easy to commute from. I'm like, okay, well, okay, sell the house, move back in with my mom, which is the biggest sacrifice, um, <laughs> <laughs> move back home and then, and then just go all in. And that's what we did. So in six weeks, we quit the jobs, sold the house, kind of then it was like where do I locate to and it was a case of okay let's go back to Wolverhampton but now I need a unit I was like okay it's Wolverhampton jumped on to um, okay well let's go to the empty property list with the local council they didn't have one I called them up they go we don't have one I said by law you have to and they go I'll just google it I was like, okay and I told them I'm a distillery that I'm born in Wolves I'm gonna bring it back to Wolves you got the home Banks' brewery and yeah. I don't think there's to my knowledge has been an actual distillery in Wolverhampton I thought this would be really cool mm-hmm. I got in all these flagship, flagship places nothing contacted Birmingham Birmingham like okay we will find you buildings contacted Warsaw they got please come to us and I was like how come my own town doesn't do it but in the end Birmingham the buildings were way too big they were finding me like entire blocks in uh, jewelry quarter I said you know I'm a startup <laughs> I, can't, I can't afford a block uh, if you want to give me a space in that block and give me, no no you have to take it I all and renovate it I was thinking yeah no I think the other thing that was quite disheartening that you managed to get hold of a couple of empty places in Wolverhampton and you had to call the estate agents I remember once he got off the phone and he was just like I just can't believe it the guy was just like um Yes, I've got an empty property, so you want to come down then. I don't show it to individual people, so I need two or three people. I I do group bookings, group viewings. And as time's ticking away, I just remember thinking, this is, why is this so difficult? What what is wrong with you? I'm like, like, it's a council. I actually called the council. I said, you got three properties with the one agent I want to view. He won't let me see them because he doesn't want to spend his time just showing me because it's not a guaranteed sale. I got, since when do you get a guaranteed sale? And they go, yeah, you have to take it up with them. I said, it's your properties. You've got empty, vacant properties, which is taxpayers' money being used on them. Mm-hmm. They're decaying if they don't use them. Yeah, it can't help you. And I, I just went angry. I exploded. And I started finding private landlords. And then we found a couple of spaces. And then the eventual space that we're currently in, as we got there and the planning department were like, okay, fine, it should be fine for you to do it here. It's very fast and loose uh, that I found here. And um, then it was the licenses kept getting refused. Yeah. And as a police, they knew increasing crime rate too much. So how's that work? I go in the town center and they're like, no, but crime's really high. I mean, it's like this. It's- and I'm like, but what's the figures? So I don't know, but it's really high. I go, how can you not know? And how do you know it's high? He goes, because it's bad. And I'm like, oh my gosh, can you at least get figures? And they wouldn't get figures. And then I had the local, uh, no, then there was one department I couldn't be bothered to turn up. So they sent environmental health instead. And he says, I'm, I'm here on behalf of somebody else who's busy. And as I was talking to him, I kind of got him to ease up. And he, I said, 
let's be honest, are you going to give it? He's like, no, I'm going to refuse. So why? He says, it's just kind of what we do because we're behind on paperwork. I was like, are you kidding me? So their thought process was, if we refuse, it buys them six, an additional six weeks because then we have to appeal. But when you're a startup business, you've got a timeline of six six weeks. You don't have six weeks. And then I I said to him, I'm not being funny, you've got developments happening literally a minute away. There's big development, there's bars coming in there. You've got all these other chain bars, the big chains that can do freebie shots and two shots uh, for the price of one. And I said, as a, when I was getting my license, I go, the things that they're doing, if I do, I get a lifetime ban and a penalty. And they go, see, the thing is, we like big businesses there. We're not here to support the small ones. And I go, that's why it's gone backwards. And in the end, the only way I actually got a, uh, uh, they gave me a refusal letter. And then the only way I managed to get my license, they said, you have to go to Peel. And I was like, okay, what's that? They said, it's like a panel with 12 or more people. So that's a bit intimidating. I go, what are they going to ask me? Because they're just five questions at you. And in this whole time, I'm thinking, I've just taken on a unit. I'm renovating it. I'm panicking. We sold the house. Um, and I said, can I bring anyone along? They were like, yep, anyone you like. I said, anyone? They were like, yep. I said, can I bring the mayor of Wolverhampton? Well, why would you bring the mayor? I go, because he's my family friend. I've known him for a long time. And he's like, Let's get back to you. And the next day they go, yes, so your uh, application has been accepted. I said, wow. So it just took that. And I was like, oh my. It's like small town mentality. I was like. And then I just felt, and the thing that really got me worked up is how many people who have an idea, if they didn't have a contact, they can't start. They're just stuck. And it just got really bizarre. But in the end, we got the license. And uh, then it was like, where do we get the equipment from? Which equipment do we what, get? What do you buy? So these roads apps are lab equipment, and we were like, okay, we still have to see the process, how it's done, and I Google searched, and then I found the best company are the inventors, a company called Buki, B-U-C-H-I, and they are Swiss-German. They invented the rotary evaporator. They are the Rolls-Royce of it. They're also the most expensive. I said, I don't care, as long as it's an accurate one. Because the ones that the guys are using currently was just like a very cheap one, which had just dials that you turn. Yeah. Mm. Which I then came to realize, no, you need to know exactly what you're setting it to. Um, and we ended up getting them to custom make us two machines. So we, that was like, oh gosh, a huge chunk of our life savings just gone yeah, in like yeah. a blink of an eye. Yeah. And uh, then we were like, okay, we've got the machines. How do you use them? <laughs> I bought the kit. It's like all the gear, no idea. What what do I do now? And they're like, oh, we'll work with you. And in the end, they kind of worked with us to kind of look at the recipe. And I say, did the company set it up? Did they just hand over the recipe and like this is how? You Essentially, make it? yes. We're closing down. This is how. This is a list of how you make it. Yeah, you have to do. Oh no, they still operate. They still do their own stuff. They just didn't want yeah. to do it for anyone oh, else. But and they were happy to give you your recipe back. The, and, uh, yeah, because it's our IP, our everything. We trademarked it and everything. We like they gave us a recipe, but I thought it's not just a recipe. That's like when you get a cookbook. Yeah. And you yeah. look at it and thinking, yeah, but am I putting the right amount in? And but if you've got no setting, what am I doing? And and then we said to me, you have to show us how it's done. But not just once so we did like a big order with them so we'd have bottles left over and i thought worst case i've got stock yeah and we can still sell the bottles so we're not caught short and uh we we filmed them apparently wrote a million and one notes and we we're like okay okay we think we've got if we've got video 
we got this and then we did it all again and Buki sent one of their head reps with us and we pretended he we were he was our consultant we never let them know he's from the actual major company yeah and uh we sat there and then it turned to a very strange day because the people distilling for us had a very angry french manager and he was very always angry always stressed <laughs> and he was showing us the process and he said this is what you put in and the guy from Buki kept questioning Mark was like well what settings that he said I don't know I just turned the dial what do you mean you just turned the dial because as a scientist which is what Mark was he's like yeah. you turn the dial for what to change a vacuum which is a pressure or reducing the pressure and he's like yeah, but what do you change to I said I don't know you just turn it said, what do you turn to till it bubbles okay <laughs> so what about the chiller what setting you got that on he said well it goes from one to five I've got it on four he goes, what's for me? What temperature? So I don't know, I just turned to four. Why are you asking so many questions? I think it's my, I'm sitting in the background trying to keep it in. I think it's my effing business. I need yeah, to know. Yeah. And then all I remember is the famous last words. Um, they were doing distillation and the ma French manager turned around and said, I'm just going to go and do, sort out the bar. Whatever you do, don't touch it. I'll be back in a few minutes. So I'm not going to touch anything. It's not my equipment. So I was just standing there, hands behind my back twiddling my thumbs and Mark's looking at it. I said, Mark, remember, he said, don't touch it. Ah, this is like nothing to me. I mean, I, I make these things and I know what I'm doing. Don't worry, it's fine, it's fine. And then he started turning the knobs. <laughs> and then where you got the distillation, you never want the filling flask, which has the liquid, to shoot right through the machine into the collection flask. That's when you ruin the batch. Yeah. So he turned it, I go, Mark, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as we turned around, we just heard this noise and we turned back, it shot right through, destroyed the batch. And then you have to dismantle the machine to clean it out. So and he goes, I could fix this. And I was like, oh my God, what has he done? <laughs> and then next thing you know, this is how comical it was. He then turned the machine off. He dismantled it and he's got the big glass cylinder, uh, the, the column, which you distill through and he's got it under the sink. Filling it with water, and it's like the manager walked back in in the worst possible time. Like the tap, and you just freeze. And it's like rabbit. He said, like, "Bruce, hold this end," and now I'm holding it. And he just looked at me, and goes, "What the?" F and he just exploded. You get the f out, and you get you ruin my day. I'm he just exploded. And Mark's like, ah. Well, you should have told me that this is what the setting... And I was like, will you shut up? Will you stop talking? Why are you making this worse for me? And I was like, oh my God, this is just so bad. This is so bad. And I was like, okay, left. And uh, myself, parent and the guy from Buki, we, I thought, I have to take him for lunch now because that's what he's expecting before he catches his train back. And as we sat down, I go, okay, so let's ignore what happened on the wrong side. Do you understand how the process... Oh, yeah. I go, that doesn't sound convincing. I go, when you go, yeah. I go, Do you, are you sure? And he's like, well, we'll figure it out. I go, Mark, this is not giving me confidence. It's a lot of money we just spent with you guys. It's our life. I go, you remember that? I go, just for you, God, just remember at the front of your mind, this is our life on the line. And he said, yeah. <laughs> he walks off. And then, um, so we had this process, we had the videos, we're looking at it and thinking, well, we can't really memorize this. Like, there's no point stressing over it we, until we get the machine. We've done as much as we could because I went, we went three times and one person was doing the process, so the other one, I'd put we're the joining camera. In, yeah. 
there so recording it and then taking notes so you've got everything covered because you're like sometimes if you just write notes you forget things or what does that mean so if you've got the so I'm feeling pretty confident we've got it all covered because if we forget something we've recorded it we're going to be fine we're going to follow exactly the same process and whenever we go to do it liquid should come out exactly the same and the machine we've got is especially when everyone goes it's science yeah so it should be okay (laughs) as long as we've got a recipe there might be slight fluctuation but it shouldn't be a problem so then it came to the very first distillation. So Paramjit was still in London because the house is still selling. And we had our unit and have, at the same time, just before we started it, I, I was like, okay, I need to find somebody else who's an expert in rotary evaporators, which is the science equipment we use. So I Googled everything online. And I found a couple of people who claimed to be experts at distillation. So I contacted them. I go, hi guys, just wanted to get some advice and see if you could help consult. As you said on your website, you consult as well. And I said, I want to distill yogurt through a rotva. And as I'm continuing to talk, he goes, let me stop you right there. I was like, oh, okay. Did I say something wrong? He says, it's impossible. <laughs> I go, what do you mean it's impossible? No, it's impossible. I go, but we're getting it done right now. Can't be. I go, I can show you the process. It's impossible. I was like, he keeps saying impossible, but we're doing it. And he was like, must be a special machine. And in my head, I'm like, when you got something as science, and then you just come back, it must be special. <laughs> it's like, oh, it must be magic box. I was like, mm, you basically don't know how to do it. He goes, it'll go into my machine, it'll destroy it. I go, that's not how it works. That's not actually how rotary evaporators work. And he goes, I'm an expert in this. I go, well, you obviously aren't. And then we got this real big argument on the phone, and he just hung up on me. I thought, Okay, then I tried the next person, same situation. I thought, wow, people talk a big game. And then when you call them out and they're bullshit, yeah. it's amazing. But then I started thinking, how many people are they distilling for and they haven't got a clue? And then I was like, I'm back to square one. Okay, right. Think about how I started this process. I can't speak to the guys who are doing it for us because they're not very good in terms of, and they gave us short notice, which wasn't great for me, so it's not a good relationship. And I thought, let's go back to his their ex-business partner who helped create the cream gin. So we reached out to his team. His team, uh, I was honest, I said, we need to get some support or help, whatever. If you can put me in a direction, if you got any help, if you can put me in a direction. And then they rolled back and they said, we can't, but we've got a good friend of ours who can. And uh, they said, his name's Stu Bale. And uh, we've messaged him on your behalf. So expect the phone call. And that was the moment everything changed for us. I mean, he called me up and he probably thought, oh God, here come another bunch of people thinking they can be distillers. Oh, here we go. (laughs) And as we were chatting, we just, we're having this general chat about it. And then I just said to him, my dream is to kind of have a space because I've always wanted an experimental space. Mm. And I got my dream is, I know chefs have experimental kitchens and bar teams have experimental kind of labs for drinks. Yeah. But why can't you just have both together? Like why is this divide like the chefs work over there and the drinks guys work over there and they all compete? Oh my God, it should be cross collaboration. I think the thought came into our mind because we'd go and eat and what, what we found, we're fortunate now it's no longer the case, but at that time we'd go and have really good food and you'd go for drinks and we're like, they're just really weak or sugary or syrupy. Why is it no effort? Them. 
or we'd go somewhere and find out, oh, you know, this place does really good drinks. And what did they serve? They just gave you nuts and crisps. And we're like, no, but I need some carbs. I need some food. And it was just about people need to work together. Mm. And just so we were already in that mindset of food and drink. And then as I was talking to Stu, I just heard him as soon as I said about, why can't they just be an experimental place for people to come and just share ideas and check the ego at the door? And he just changed it. You know, you could tell someone's moves, yeah. how they're sitting or whatever. Yeah, and he goes, yeah. and he goes oh, we got to meet. I was like, oh, oh, okay, why? Uh, That's a big change. And he said, you're the only person I've spoken to recently who said the exact same thing that I'm creating. He goes, let's have a catch up. I thought, okay, we've connected. And we met and met him at the the London Edition Hotel in in London. We sat down, we had this great conversation, told him everything. And I go, but the only thing is, he said he can help. I go, the only thing is you have to come to Wolverhampton. It's okay. Fine. Yeah, cool. Because I'm like, it's a hard draw sometimes to get people to travel. It really is. Because it's like, even though there's a train that comes straight in, they're like, well, I don't like leaving anything an hour outside of London. It's like, well, that's not going to happen. But he turned up and he was there and Mark from Buki was there. So he set up the machine on the very first day. So everything gets dropped off. A few days later, they come along and we had this one tiny room which Mark said would be perfect when I sent him pictures. There's no window in that room. Yeah. So we had them both set up next to each other in the far corner. So great. I've already been pre-preparing the batch in these big barrels and whatever, following the recipe. And then we're like, okay, they set them up. Oh God, let's distill. And this was like three o'clock because the whole day was taken up. And then as we put it on, like by four o'clock, Stu's like, my train's in 30 minutes. I've got to go. <laughs> I thought, oh, fuck well he's just come down to see my machine <laughs> and he's like oh, I'm so glad I was here because I'm thinking of getting that machine I've only ever seen it online but I get to see it in person like, oh, good for you <laughs> like okay and then he's like I, I said Mark was like oh I've got to get back to Manchester so I'm going to miss the traffic because I've kind of gone more than the two hours I was going to give you I thought okay that's fair enough okay but can you wait while I drop him off at the station come back and then you can go I go because if you both go no one's watching the damn machine he's like okay okay and then I dropped Stu off came back and then Mark left I'm like the thing hasn't even started distilling I go how long does it take to get to know I go gosh I was like okay have you got any final words for me please because this is also a bank holiday so it's roughly this time in 2017 so it's like a bank holiday I was like okay um any final words to support me and just calm me down and he's like don't let the chiller go over eight degrees i was like okay and if it does <laughs> he goes cool the room down oh god there's no windows so you just turn the fans on as like the fans are on okay fine all right i'll just leave the doors open and now where our unit is it's on the back street it was a pub and the, the area is not known for being very safe. So I had to have the doors open. And I've got our entire life savings in this machines. And it was midnight and it still hadn't finished. I was thinking, Jesus, I've been going since three o'clock. I'm exhausted. This can't be just, and you could do this four times round. I was like, this can't be right. I'm sure they didn't take that long. What's going on? I must see the machines. What do I do? And then I looked at one machine was on 10 degrees and one was on 11. I thought, oh shit. Well, that's not good. I was thinking, no wonder I'm sweating because it's just sucking this hot air. And I thought, oh, this is just getting worse. What's going on? And I'm thinking, well, I can't call him. It's gone midnight. He's not going to answer the phone. So I thought, what else can I do? Okay, um, let's... uh, 
get some air in this room. How am I going to do that? I've got fans. And there's a partition wall, like a stud wall. And all I thought was, I could see a vacuum there. I could see a saw right there. I had a saw in the room for no reason. I don't know. And the hammer. Oh, I thought, okay. Sod it. And I got a hammer. just smashed a hole in the wall. A little tiny hole with the vacuum there. Because I thought, I don't want dust to go in it. Because then that's my machine room. Yeah. Life savings. I was like, okay, got the vacuum on. And I got the end of the saw. And I started cutting this hole all the way around. Because the room next door had a window. As I punched it out, I was like, oh, the cold air comes in. I was thinking, oh, okay. Well, that might make a bit of a difference. And then I ran into the kitchen and realized I left the chest freezer there. So all the dust had gone down the back and I just bought oh, this chest freezer. No, I thought, oh. So I vacuumed that up, moved it. And I thought, what if I tear a wall down? It's gone 1 a.m. Sod it, nobody else is around. It's, it's a commercial unit. So I find so I've got a Stanley knife, I had to be very careful. And I took down an entire wall while that was going. <laughs> I hit like 2.30 a.m., the wall had down and the machine had finished distillate, the, the distillation. I thought, well, I'm wired now because I'm just under draining. Let's put the second one on. <laughs> so I did that. I did that for four days. And it was also the hottest period that we had for a number of years yeah. in 2017. And then I was like, okay, but this time I'm going to wheel the machines out of the room into the reception area. And then I realized my worst mistake ever. I never tightened the legs hard enough. So as I moved the machine, it tilted. Oh, man. I had like 25 grand's worth of my entire life savings balancing on the table. I thought, I can't even turn the machines off. And all I had to do is sit at the back of it, just with my hands, hands holding it just in case. For six, seven hours, I was like, this is wrong. And then I had to call a friend of mine. We had to move the machines, tighten the legs, put it back, and it kept going. Four days later, I actually then had this distillation. I thought, right, let's blend. Mixed it all up, tasted it, tastes like shit. Oh, I was like, what have I done? This is not how it's supposed to be. This is just so wrong. I was like, well, that hasn't worked. Oh, what have I done? Then I called up Stu. I go, you gotta come, SOS. Man, you gotta come now. We gotta figure this out because it didn't work. And he said, oh, okay, uh, I'll come on the weekend. I said, please, please, please. And then he turns up on the Saturday. I uh, put him in a hotel. Not Friday. He went through it and he talked about things. Oh, we can sort this out. And then he came back and said, there's only one problem. I said, oh, what? He says, I can't help you after this weekend. I said, why? What did I say? I felt like someone's breaking up. You go, is this something I said? What happened? What did I do? Is it money? Is it, do you need money? And he's like, no, no. And he'd just been um, contracted for another gin brand. And he said, I've already told them I'm working with you, but they said, you can't continue. I said, well, what the hell do I do? He goes, don't worry, I've got a plan. I go, what? He said, one of my best mates, and his name's Ali Kelsey. He's coming down to help you. I was like, okay. Is he good? He goes, oh yeah, he's good. And Ali turned up the following day and he to this day is our godsend. Literally, when you put someone out to the world and you find that one person that changes your life, yeah. it was him. He came down and he tasted it. And he said, okay, just take me through step by step. And he's worked with all the big brands, he's worked with the best bars in the world. And he's such a humble guy. And when we talked through the process, he said, no, it doesn't make sense. Because you sure you wrote this down right? And he's a very calm guy. And then I was telling him about the process again. I showed him the video. I was like, look, I'm not lying. He, watched, he goes, no, are you sure you wrote everything? And he got really angry. And I said, like, oh shit, what's happened there? Have I offended him? We flat wash our uh, 
we fat wash our gin with um, ghee. So we were talking about this is the process that we use and we don't come from a science background, so it's worked, this is what we do. And he's talking to us about chemistry and he's talking about saturation points, that there's only so much fat that you would be able to pull out of something. So all this excess... Um, liquid that you're putting in there you're just throwing money down the drain and we're just like okay hold on a minute I didn't even think about it from that perspective and he's just well that's not going to work you've just got there's only so much fat you can take from the ghee the rest of it is just going down the drain and we were like didn't even think of it like that but then that. there's also his his chemistry backgrounds are kicking in and he goes no this doesn't make sense ah. and he's like right I need to have a cigarette and get a break and he went outside and he came back and he said look I am so sorry there's no need for me to get angry he, goes, I'm, he said I just get angry when you're told the wrong things and he was like oh wrong thing and he said okay yep yeah, no he goes do you know what let's start from scratch he goes let's recreate crazy gin because the flavors you'd find that may have fluctuated between bottle batches he goes no no he said this is done in a very non-efficient way and uh, he was like okay let's do everything individually I go, what do you mean you can distill everything separately because yeah we'll distill the coriander the yogurt the 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 ghee we'll do everything separately and then blend together he said that's how the big companies would do it so you have big batches of each one and you keep topping them up so the flavor averages out so then when you cross blending you got more control and accuracy so oh okay mm. this is great we're learning now and we did that and then all of a sudden we use now a third of the ingredients we used to use which is massive i mean the ghee that we used to use before was just insane and we thought okay this is great oh wow we got this whole new concept and from that moment we were like okay we were constantly using the machines and so we started off doing everything manually with our machines and i remember once we'd refined the process the methodical side of me i studied psychology at university and experiments of methodical paramedic came out and i was for the next 10 months we literally every five minutes were noting down temperature the vacuum everything that the machine was telling us to find out what is going to give us the best distillation then after those 10 months i remember reviewing them all and thinking that's the temperature this is the setting and now we've managed to be able to automate the machines but along the way where we were naive and we didn't know things we have just learned so much we now can use those machines inside out back to front we can take them all apart we can give them a good clean and, we, and through the process what was really amazing the the manufacturers become our really good friends yeah and they would turn around and they got you're the only ones that do this because we had the service engineer for the whole of the uk come because we had some issues with the machines and he came down and he said right you're probably not going to listen because <laughs> he says nobody ever does because I'm just the geek and he goes you're never, probably not going to listen but he said every time you finish the machine clean it down take it apart this that and I was like really nervous of it he goes but Bruce be confident keep doing it and it's that repetition you'll get better at it and you'll become second nature and he says it also improves the lifespan of your machines because the reason most people don't listen if it's in a lab they don't care <laughs> It's not their money. If it's bigger gin distilleries or whatever, some people don't know. And sometimes it's laziness. And again, some people have investment. But he goes, we like you guys because you're writing everything down. And after about nine months, they thought we wouldn't do it. So when I had something, I had a general, uh, just an, uh, a yearly service. He's like, oh my God, this machine's so clean. He goes, have you, have you been doing what I said? I go, yeah. He goes, oh my God, you're the only ones. <laughs> and then about a few months later, we get our local rep uh, for the Midlands saying, Bruce, we want you to come and do a talk at Cambridge. Oh, what do you mean Cambridge? 
She says it's a big um, pharmaceutical kind of retail, uh, like uh, industrial park. And we want you to come along as one of the guest speakers. What am I going to talk to scientists about? What, what have I got to explain to scientists? They go, because you make alcohol. They go, show them the concept of alcohol. And then we took Ali along with us and we went there and they had these normal talks and we got to meet the people who came from Switzerland for Buki and we became friends with them and they were really intrigued and they were like, you're the only ones that write stuff down. They're even chemists. They say it, but they tend not to write it down because it's just a machine. You just program it and leave it. And uh, we just became really good friends. We did this talk, and we had scientists coming to chemists coming to us afterwards, thinking, "Never thought about putting that through rotavap <laughs> because we just come into our day job and just go home." Of course, you could, and it's great to see people's kind of intrigue. Like, oh my god, you can use this for so many things. And through that, we, we developed such a good bond with the, the manufacturers that they allow, allow us to test out the new equipment. Yeah, I'm thinking we're just husband and wife. We just started, but we must be doing something right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of gone from there, but it's just this whole mass of two, well, we're coming up to about two and a half years old, and it's just like so intense, and things go wrong. I've broken things <laughs> on that machine. I managed to go two year, two, just over two years without breaking a thing, and they were taking bets on me breaking stuff. But the things they were expecting me to break were not the things that I did break, and I broke them both in one clean sweep, and which is like expensive. a double whammy. But small bits of glass, and it came in like 580 quid. I'm thinking, oh, wow. but it's tiny. Wow. Like, yeah, but that's, and then that's like I want to put up on Instagram. Do you know what? It happened. Has, has the gym changed much from the move? Like, is it massive, different to like Massive. It's so much more consistent. Yeah, and the flavors consistent. more balanced. Yeah. Uh, even when we automated it, what happened with the automation is it becomes a lot smoother. Yeah. Because you allow the machine to just work on its own and work optimum. Yeah. And again, it's Swiss German. They love data. Yeah, it's data driven. Yeah, 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 yeah. so if something's off by point whatever, it's off. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> and what we found is when we automated it, the flavors are the same, but it becomes a smoother gin. The amount of ghee that we use now is actually a lot less. And now we've actually taken, uh, when we distill everything, we essentially macerate, we, we take coriander seeds and we'll take a set amount, we'll put in a blender, but we count for how many seconds each amount we put in there to try and keep consistency. Yeah put into a tub with some neutral grain spirit, around 40%. We leave for 48 hours. So it would have stripped out a lot of the oils and the flavor. And then we'll filter out the spices, bag those up, because I thought, I don't want to keep throwing stuff away. Yeah. Why can't chefs use it? I mean, that chefs play around with the leftovers. Because that's this whole um, closed loop of waste. And then we take that liquid that's left, which is taken some of the color, and we roll to wrap that across to get the clear liquid. Yeah. And we do that with everything. And then what we found is, now why can't we take those spices and things and play around with them? We took our ghee where it's a fat wash. So essentially we take a kilo of ghee, heat it up around 60 degrees. We don't want it too hot, so it just melts down, becomes yeah. super clear. We then add a kilo of uh, gin into there. And then we let it blend, let it go to room temperature, pour into these big giant trays and stick in a deep freeze for four hours. After four hours, the fat will harden up and the alcohol sit at the bottom and the alcohol's taken some of the fats yeah. and some of the alcohol's lost up in the, the ghee, just a small amount. And you strain it through coffee filters and you get a ghee fat wash. Mm. Then we take a small amount of that ghee fat wash, roughly in about 30 
to no about 36 kilos of gin we have about 600 grams of this fat wash ghee because people always worried about we get people uh, are the calories in this and i'm like well that's a small amount you know yeah but i'm very uh, health uh, conscious about how many calories i take and then i usually ask them what are you mix with lemonade i go well, okay <laughs> yeah, doesn't make much right. difference <laughs> but it's that whole thing and we've made the process so much more refined that now we've got a more consistent gin yeah but we always do 200 bottles per batch but you can't get a fluctuation between batches but again that's the whole craft yeah. and what happens how long were you out of circulation for then once that business closed and you starting up your own distillery it was no, no downtime to time it yeah we were trying to be smart about it. We thought it's going to take time for us to set up the new distillery. So what we can do is ask the guys, you've given us six weeks notice. In those six weeks, how many bottles can you make for us? And then right. we had our stockpile. Yeah, it was just about forward th- thinking. And we're so grateful we did that because that first batch say, did so not no turn out. There was no point where you didn't have no, any. No. Even uh, when, uh, well, because what we found is, even though people love our story, we I haven't got a PR company and also it's quite difficult to get people to get their heads around yogurt, turmeric and ghee in a gin. So if it's a pink gin or something like that, it's very on trend. Yeah, it's stuff yeah. that goes by, it's like a fire sale, it'll go crazy. And again, the price point was quite high. When we first launched, it was a £45 bottle. Now it's come down to 39.95, which we tried to, where we scale up and where we keep our cost savings, we start to pass that on to the gym. And we've always said, whenever we reduce our costs and make ourselves more efficient, you pass that on. And that, but at a 40 pound, it's quite difficult to get those mass sales through. Yeah. Unless you really hit onto a string of uh, something like, like good marketing. Uh, but at the moment, we've got enough that we can cover the production, but we've now got the scope if we need to ramp up we can ramp up to a fair amount. So I think that's where it's made a big difference. So how long did your contract with Harvey Nichols last? Or is it still on now? This, see, this is a, uh, it's a good question because a lot of people think you have set contracts. There's no contract. It's literally, so it's just as long as they, they order. If, if they order, they order. Did if, you mean exclusivity? Yeah. Oh, how sorry, yes. Oh. Sell with them? We had exclusivity because we launched like towards the end of October. We said just till the new year. It was tiny, it was a small amount because I was like, it's so close to Christmas and you know, take it. And they were fine with it. I mean, my panic was, what if they ask for a year? Oh my yeah. God, I'm just in one store. And it's not like the highest volume store you can find. Yeah. But they were, to this day, they're always so supportive. They've which is been, nice. uh, I always, I'm a firm believer, you put stuff out to the universe. It's amazing how things come back and there's a little bit of a pattern of things that we've said yeah. and then they're transpiring and you're just like, well, but as a brand, not just for us, but when we go into the food court for Harvey Nichols, I think we never realized because we don't shop there. So it's not the first point of call would go, but they have, they support so many small businesses when it comes to food and drink. And there's so many interesting products when you go into those shelves that you just go and see yeah. the clothing and the makeup. Yep. They're your high brands. But when you get to the food and drink, part they'll have some mixtures of high brands but then they've got some really cool quirky independent products in there and it's so nice for some for a store of that size to be so supportive of the big businesses but that's the same with even with the Taj Hotel taking us on they're worldwide we're just two small people and one thing we realized 
it's us when we go and speak to people it's about being nice to people people buy from people at the end of the day and we never say this is the perfect gin or this is the perfect way to have it we always say this is our gin this is the flavor profile if you like something really sweet or you want it fruity that's not our gin and i've had no hesitation when i'm doing a tasting to say there's a whole range behind me if you're looking for that maybe have a look at this one or this one there's, there's nothing wrong with it. You're not going to be everything to everyone. Yeah. But if you're looking for a product that pushes boundaries on flavors, has got some heritage behind it, that we can just tell you a little bit about our journey, this is the product for you. And yeah. if you don't like it when we have tastings, because sometimes you'll say we'll have people that be like, we don't like gin. And it's like, do you know what? That's absolutely... Uh, have you tried that's all fine. <laughs> it's, it's not an issue. And I used to be, until I met Bruce, I used to think I didn't like wine. So I'd be like, no, don't like wine. Never tried one that I like. It's got a funny taste to it and now I'm just like ah I just never found the right wine for yeah, me yeah. now I'm like steak like whiskey, wine like people don't like whiskey yes. you just haven't tried the right whiskey the right one, for, one them. for everyone yeah it's different flavour profiles and when you start talking about flavour and everything else that's when things start getting exciting and that's yeah. when it's just like ah oh, that works why does it work and have you tried it with this so whether it's a garnish or whether it's a mixer or whether it's different food to have it with it's just an endless sea, um, sea of opportunities and yeah so where uh, where can you find crazy gin now is it available most stores or so we, we stopped across a number of uh so we've got harvey nichols and there's a lot of other stores that we're in uh, it's interesting because sometimes we find out via instagram where we've been <laughs> stopped because we've got wholesalers we don't always know where it's going yeah. but we've also launched our new website uh so crazyco.uk and the reason we launched that website, we rebranded the overall company to be called Crazy Co. Yeah. We make crazy gin, but we're about to launch some new other products as well. I was just about to ask. Yeah, where's the future? Is going? it possible to make other Lassie-based spirits? So what we've done, the best and most fun we ever had was the recreation of Crazy Gin with Ali. So when we distilled everything separately, we essentially had all these little bottles of like droppers of um the the various ingredients yeah and you say okay let's put a drop of this in two drops of this one of this five of this like it just like a home just like my chemistry set you used to yeah. have growing up yeah we thought that was so much fun we thought why don't we release those flavors everything in crazy gin so you can create your own crazy gin if you want to and people are like oh stupid people will rip you off but well, no it's about allowing people to have fun yeah. You're not going to recreate my gym based off of that. I think if you do, go go for it because yeah. it's about comp- it's about raising everyone's games. It means I'll go raise my standards yeah. and not being fearful. And we thought, well, how, how about we distill a whole range of flavors? Why can't you? Because essentially, those distillates would be a vodka, a highly flavored vodka. Yeah. Why can't we reflavor a vodka? Why can't you reflavor a whiskey? And obviously, whiskey people very much are, how dare you do that? I was about to say, I think you might touch a few <laughs> but, but then we thought, it's not about reflavor, it's making a cocktail. So if you want to make an old-fashioned, make a simple sugar syrup, a whiskey, add some of the orange in, add some licorice, add some of the cinnamon distillate, you got an old-fashioned. Can you make a cocktail with rum? Can you do it with uh, tequila? We're currently working on a, a mulled wine. How can we play around? Wow. Can you put it into food? How about you get, uh, so there'll be 45% ABV, so the flavors are strong and you need drops. Yeah. And then how about you make it 50% ABV and we'll make it into a spray bottle so you've got an aroma. Yeah. So you, you don't need the garnish at home. So have you done many collaborations with food or you got 
any coming up? You got obviously the wilderness. Oh yeah, so we've got the wilderness coming up very soon. Um, How that, did that come about? That was so interesting because it was not on our uh, radar at all. Coming back to Walter, Birmingham, it was a case of getting to know what the latest bars are what's the scene i don't all of my friends are kind of you go out of touch and you don't know who to speak to yeah and then uh actor islam i reached out to him so just as ofim was opening i got to meet actor and he listed us immediately i thought great how do i get to the other brands and it was only about uh after about it's about october just gone um uh, the gentleman carl hawkins we're good friends and one of the days I said, look, Carl, you know everyone. Let's have an outing, just a piss up. Let's go out, take me to all the places that I've got, the, bar, the bars to go to. And I remember going towards Nocturnal Animals, thinking, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be great if I got into there? <laughs> Come on, Carl, I've got a sample bottle in my bag. Let's go into there, let's, let's, let's get in. And as I walked in, I remember James Bolker just turning around and saying, hi, it's the crazy thing. I said, huh? uh, oh, you know me? He goes, <laughs> You're up there. There's Crazy Jim. I said, when did you get Crazy Jim in there? He said, the day that we launched, we've, got, we've had you since we launched. I said, no way. How did that happen? He said, we reached out to some wholesalers, our buyers. We said, is there something new and interesting on the market? And everything I looked at, I was like, oh, okay, have you got something else? And he said, they came back with Crazy Jim. And he goes, we launched you there. And I thought, great. I'm in the one place I really was desperate to get into because it's that whole Instagrammable place yeah. and then about six weeks ago uh, I had a DM from the wilderness saying I oh, would like to do collaboration and I didn't realize it's Alex who actually was in charge of his own DMs at that point yeah. and uh, we, we decided that he decided to kind of speak to uh, come and visit us at which point I was quite nervous because I was thinking well they're really high-end, how am I going to collaborate? I don't know what to do. And they turned up and we just had this nice chat where he ended up getting some a bucket of KFC chicken. And we sat there just <laughs> shooting the breeze, he's telling about his old upbringing. And he was like, let's do gin dinners. I was like, okay, what do you want me to do? He says, look, we'll make the cocktails, we'll work with you. And uh, just came with this idea and he, he's been amazing. The whole team have been like really pushing us and He's got his menu that he's doing where it's a, a private dinner yeah. uh, on the one day. Then the following day, it's in the actual main restaurant. And his team were with us a few days ago. We were just doing some new distillates to try and come up with new cocktail ideas. And it's just literally come from people either contacting us because they've liked our story yeah. or me just DMing people or people putting us together. It must be quite nice. Uh, it's going back to where you kind of first began, where you believed that it was something you could drink with food. So exactly. It's uh, nice uh, knowing that he's seen the potential in that for you. That's what it was about in the first place. And he's seen Massively. That. And I think what's happened is because we, we've gone down the route to speak to chefs. Because of this through chefs, it was a nice, it's an easier way for us than speaking to some bartenders because some bartenders tend to start asking you questions about cocktails, can you do this, can you do that? And yeah. it's out of my realm. Yeah. I'm more comfortable when you talk about food. I don't know what you'll be talking about with some recipes and some dishes and some sauces and stocks, but I feel more comfortable. But then through there, you realize the connection of flavor. Yeah. And then through there, we start to get to know more bartenders who got more excited, but it is really about bringing that food and drink together. And I think that's what's really clinched it for us. 
Yes. You had a big launch with Tiny Temper. Well, not launch, but you had a big thing with Tiny Temper as well, didn't you? Yeah, so we've had some interesting ones. That was kind of one of the the most kind of out of the blue. Uh, and that one was really interesting. It's a, a whole range. There's a series of events where it all started from a lingerie company sending an email to us about a, a lingerie launch for the, one of their seasons. Instantly, I said to Pramji, you open that email. I'm not getting in trouble for this, okay? <laughs> I, did you open it and you come back to me? And uh, she opened the email and they were doing the, I, forget, I think it was um, uh, autumn, uh, the spring summer collection that they're doing and it was around Halloween and they're going to do a Halloween party. And they said, we'd like you to, if you can, if you could support us for that. And we got some other brands that would be supporting as well. And we thought, okay. And then apparently said the name of the, the, the lady and her name's um, uh, Naomi Dahan and she owns a company called Edge or Beyond. And I was like, oh, why do I recognize that surname? And I realized I follow one of her brothers on Instagram. Yeah. I thought, okay, Joe, let's just do it. I think yes. it was, for me, it was, we don't come from a business background. And when we see other people setting up their own business, we just feel so excited for them. And we just are rooting for them, just like people are rooted for us. And it's, it's the same thing. Yeah, because yeah, you just, it's so hard to leave that security and try to do something different. And she just so passionate about her lingerie collection and the way she puts it all together and the jewelry pieces. And she's got, she was also in Harvey Nichols and it was, we just find it, if we can support someone else, I'm a firm believer, as I've said before, of yeah. putting stuff out to the universe and what goes around comes around and just be nice to people. And if this is something that we can do to help, we'll be there. And again, it was amazing just meeting her and the energy of yeah, the we got group. To, we met her and uh, her friends and family that were there for the launch. And uh, she kept saying, oh, you have to meet my sister. And her sister's an artist and she works with Neon Signs and well okay and she was like so you have to meet her please stick around and so and then her sister came over and she's just as Ali G which is really <laughs> weird because we all me and Pramjit turned up and we weren't sure if we were invited and this was in Mayfair and I think it was a cuckoo club and she still talking about oh her brother last year he's dressed up as a pope in a wheelchair with a hooker and I think okay this is like some out there kind of thing and uh, we were like well we haven't even made an effort so we ran down to Phoenix. And in Phoenix, they had some makeup people doing because it's Halloween. And me, me and Paramji, we had uh, we had makeup done where the top of my face looked like it had been ripped off with blood dripping and all sorts. And Paramji did hers. And we walk into this room and we're like, nobody's made an effort. What the hell? <laughs> we went all out. Like people looking at us weird walking down Regent Street. Like what the hell's going on there? And all they had was a little bit of blood made up on the lip. And I was thinking, oh, we look like a couple of numpties here. It's like, oh gosh. And then as the night went on, people started making an effort and thinking, thank God for that. So when we met her sister, who's dressed as Ali G, that was comical. And her name's Eve Dahan. And uh, really got on so well and started following us on Instagram. So great. And then in January, early January, I saw that her sister was doing a gallery launch in a fancy, this really cool designer shop in uh, Shoreditch. Yeah. And I messaged her and I said, do you know what? I'll do the drinks for you. She says, no, don't be silly. She goes, how much are you? I said, no, I'll do it for free. Because we did your sisters and you guys were really great in supporting us. And you're really nice. And we got on so well, I'll just do it. It'd be nice for us to just get out as well. And we've never, and she's like, are you sure? And we're like, yep, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. And uh, me and Pramjit had never done a 
service in our life mm-hmm. apart from just doing for each other or friends or family that's it and they're like well, there's only 100 people so we're like okay we'll do an alcoholic one we'll do a non-alcoholic one for those who aren't drinking we've been very mindful and he's in this really fancy shop and we didn't have much space to move around and he has to go downstairs to get to the sink in some broom cupboard and we're like okay this is a bit weird but we did it and uh the first bit i remember is somebody came along and said oh my god there's so many famous people here I was thinking, oh my god, I must be so old. I don't know anyone else. It's like, uh, it was all like Grimes uh, artists and stuff. And I was thinking, uh, could you mind pointing them out? And then just call him, her, name, him. I see, oh my god, there's a lot of people here. But then I kind of knew that uh, I, uh, as we were prepping the show, I was looking at Eve's uh, Instagram. I saw she's with Tiny Temper. And I see, oh, they look like they're dating. And I said to Pam, oh my god, can you imagine if Tiny Temper turned up? How cool would that be? <laughs> yeah, whatever. And we carried on serving and Tiny Temper turned up. <laughs> he came in with his entourage. Nicest guy in the world. He's not that kind of hip-hop artist persona that you're thinking. Yeah. Super chilled. And then you go, ah, it makes sense because he's in, big into his fashion. He's a big entrepreneur. And he's he's very he's really nice. And uh, Eve said, come on, t- Patrick, meet. Uh, again, I didn't know his name was Patrick. You got Patrick, meet Bruce and Paramje. It's the crazy thing, crazy call. They've done the gin. Oh, they've been so nice. And he goes, oh, thank you so much. And we met his sister and one of his cousins is one of his managers. And yeah, oh, this is great. And then nothing. Then, uh, then we went away. And then about a month later, Eve sends me an email saying, oh, Tiny's doing a launch for his clothing range, what we were. It'll be first ever pop-up he's done in the UK. And I told him he has to use you guys. Are you guys up for it? Because it's you're going to have to do quite quickly. Instantly, my answer's always, yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> then I thought, oh, what does that mean? Then this was on a Tuesday, uh, 12 o'clock. Then uh, we were in... Um, we were in, uh, oh gosh, uh, in the boring. And uh, then about an hour later, we had a message come back from his sister saying, Hi, I'm Patrick's sister. Thank you for doing the event. It's tomorrow, Soho, 6 p.m. 400 <laughs> artists. It's going to be a bit of a club night. And they had notes who's going to be there. And everyone, all these big artists. And I'm thinking, oh, 400 people. <laughs> oh, then that means we're going to get cups. Oh, could we get a serve it? We ain't got a cocktail. Oh, no. What have I done? And I was like, okay, can't do anything. Just cancel it. I got can't cancel. That's ridiculous. How can I cancel now? This could be big for us. And we're like, okay, where do we get cups from? Okay, uh, straws. But straws better be uh, biodegradable uh, paper. And uh, where do we find a cocktail? So I called up Ali. I said, Ali, this is happening tomorrow. And he said, oh, shit. That's a, that's a big one. And uh, he said, don't worry. He says, I'll, bash, I'll, I'll knock out the drinks for you in uh, Haggerston in London. He says, I'll get, the, I'll, I'll get the liquid ready. Alcoholic, non-alcoholic, we'll all be ready. You guys just concentrate getting your backsides down here and whatever you need to get. And we're like, great. Then I said to Pamji, you find cups, I'll find straws. <laughs> There's only one place in Birmingham that had uh, the biodegradable straws I could find. And he's like, yeah, the order should come in tomorrow. Oh. Are you sure? Yeah, it should be. I go, no, are you sure? What time's delivery? The delivery's between like, yeah, he sometimes turns up at nine. I go, are you sure they're coming? I go, mate, you're really going to let me. Yeah, it should be here. I thought, oh, crap. Well, that's like an, an, an unsure question mark. So fine. And then we found cups in a company in Ellsbury. And we bought a 500 reusable. Because we thought, again, me and Patrick, oh, we'll just wash them out, rinse them out, put them back to him, we'll use them again. 
And uh, so we woke up that morning, loaded up the car, borrowed my mum's car, because it's a much bigger car, went down to Birmingham, got there half nine, the order literally just came in, said, great, thanks, grabbed the shows, put them in the car, right, Aylesbury, drove all the way down to Aylesbury, said, right, 500 cups, yeah, no problem. And then I realised how big the boxes are. I thought, oh crap, does this even going to fit in our car? <laughs> so we like, just about stuck them in. At this point, we found uh, 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 Paramjit was pregnant. And think, oh my God, and she's having morning sickness and everything. <laughs> oh, and then we drive all the way over to Haggerston to grab all the alcohol and everything. And we just about squeezed it in the car. I was like, oh, ice. We forgot to get ice. <laughs> and he's like, I've got you covered. I'll call up Eskimo Ice and I'll get it there for you. And he's like, great. And we pulled up into central London. And it's that first time where in my lifetime and living in London for 10 years, there was more snow in Soho than in the Midlands. As it seems, when does it snow in central London? <laughs> the the cushion of pollution usually stops that from happening. And there was just snow everywhere. And I parked up what looked like a loading bay. Then I realized it's not a loading bay. I said to Pantry, I'll start it. I'll put the hazards on and I'll just unload the car. You stay here. And I'm going through all. And they were still setting up. And there's beautiful uh, show, a shop called Axel Arigato. It's like super designer, like trainers I could never afford. And... Uh, I was just traipsing mud right through the oh. store and then like wiping up. They had these giant concert speakers. At which point I was thinking, the store's not that big, these speakers are... And I was chatting to one of the guys and he goes, yeah, we're one of the roadies. I go, why are the speakers there? He goes, oh, it's, it's Tiny's uh, setup. We just thought, oh, we've got, we got the concert speakers, we'll just bring a couple along. They were gigantic, they were as big as I was as they came. The shop's not that big. Then the shoulders and the space was tiny. It was like the smallest broom cupboard you could find with stock behind us. One sink, a little bit of worktop and a toilet, uh, a door to the disabled toilet. But the sink was full of ice. <laughs> so we had like, probably like a, a square foot of prep area. We had no, basil leaves. We had, we were doing two order. We thought, we'll send that tray of non-alcoholic and we'll send that tray of alcoholic. Stupid idea. Does not work. Yeah. Because everyone kept sending back the non-alcoholic. Yeah. So I tell the guys serving, they go, yeah, I go, how come it's come back? I go, as soon as we said there's no alcohol in this, they go, why? <laughs> so it's like, we like, let's do two order. And then Tiny Temper comes in the back. He's thanking us. And Paramjit and we were just going all at it. And then she said, you better film some of it. And I just managed to squeeze my head around the corner. Yeah. And Notes was actually singing at this point. So I've got a bit of that video. Our cups had no branding, nothing. And then Eve... Uh, she came in, she's like, guys, you're gonna get out front. I'm making the drinks as well. She goes, oh shit. She goes, have you got cards? I said, yeah, just give me all your cards. Give me all your business cards. She goes, I'm gonna promote you like crazy. I'm like, oh my God, this is so nice. She ran out, she's giving cards. Yeah. And, and then we like, okay, great. And then the event finished and I was like, damn it. Never got a picture with anyone. <laughs> ah, crap. What do we do now? And it just kind of got really bizarre. I mean like, okay, well, let's see what's happening on the internet the following day and there were pictures of uh, the event and they had Reggie Yates they had the designer uh, Ozzo Boateng they had A-listers there and I'm yeah, thinking yeah. they don't even know and then there's a picture of everyone drinking our cocktail but there's no label nothing <laughs> I was like ah and then I was like you know what just take one of the pictures where Notes who's the man of the hour with Tiny Temper his clothing ring Lord they both got a drink in their hand and say crazy James <laughs> somehow and uh, then out of the blue, there was, uh, I, I put up a tweet and then Tiny Temper reposted it. Oh, right. Or retweeted it. And, and, and Eve messaged me back. She goes, 
I'm sorry they didn't do enough for you on the the day, but she goes, I said to Patchy, you gotta blast these guys out there and he put it out there and he's like, Wow. And he's just that it wasn't like us hounding people or searching. It's just one of those things you never know when you meet someone who they are. Yeah. Or who they may yeah. know and it's kind of just Christ just be normal. Yeah. It's just it was just so left field, it was just not expected at all. I think that's probably a good place to kind of wrap things up now taken quite a lot of your time oh thank you guys we do like to talk but no I tell you <laughs> what, it's been absolutely brilliant I know you guys story. can easily write a book on this it's yeah. really interesting <laughs> absolutely really it's only if it's interesting like, to people I feel like I should come back in a year once you've got some other bits on the part yeah. two I think you need to do a video let's do a video <laughs> podcast in the distillery <laughs> doing some drinks yeah, yeah <laughs> awesome thanks very much Bruce thank you guys thank, thank you very much thanks. cheers Thank you all for listening. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. It really does help us. Yeah, it really does. Even if you could just help by recommending us to a friend or a family member, helps to get our name out there. If you haven't yet seen our blog, go check it out. It's where you can find all our show notes, restaurant reviews, and other food ramblings. The website is www.breakingbreadpodcastuk.com. Also, go check out our social media. Our Insta is full of pics of food. Also, feel free to leave comments. We love hearing from you. All the links to our social media and our guest social media can be found in our show notes. Thanks Thanks again for listening. Until Until next time, take care.